find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Well, I got friends in low places. <laughs> what is up today? We bask in the goddamn light of mustachial greatness. Well, this isn't the first time, and it won't be the last time, that we cover a Sam Peckinpah film on this podcast. Uh, forgive if you hear any noise around me. Um, it's hot in San Antonio, and I'm working. I'm, I got the, the washer going. I'm too poor for a studio. I don't got that. I don't got that mic. Mike Wood money. Uh, <laughs> uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. This isn't the first and it won't be the last time that we cover a Sam Peckinpah film on this podcast. The man is as gritty as a chewing a wad of big league chew during an El Paso sandstorm, goddammit. As you know, we are discussing 1972's The Getaway, starring the legendary Steve McQueen, Allie McGraw, Sally Struthers, and of course, the mustachioed legends themselves, Al Lettieri and Ben Johnson. On one hand, you have Lettieri, who plays a smarmy, smarmy, I don't know how that word goes, smarmy uh, bank robber, uh, Rudy Butler. Uh, he's an Italian-American uh, with a mean-ass mug and one hell of an attitude. I don't know how his character ended up in Texas robbing banks, but eh, you know, business is business. Sometimes you got to travel for work. Then you got good old Ben Johnson, who may be playing quite the antagonist as Jack Binion, but one can't help but notice his stoic and distinguished cowboy demeanor. I mean, this guy is as authentic as they come. I mean, you just got to look him up. Born of indigenous and Irish ancestry, this man needs a movie based off his life already. Going from the res to Hollywood is no easy feat, especially in the 1940s. You got to give him some credit there. Well, enough yip yapping. Let's ask our beautiful wife to bang an old cowboy so we can get released from prison on parole. Be jealous about it, even though it was our idea. As a couple, we'll work to bring a whole new meaning to down in the dumps and then somehow end up in Mexico happily ever after thanks to some slim pickings hijinks. Because it's 1970s, baby, and this is just how outlaw romance works. Now play that shit, Dave Dow! It's the Mustachio Podcast, you. We're ready for the show. We'll watch moves, we'll make some jokes, and then we'll all go home. Navigating the legendary hairy upper lips. What is up? This is Daniel Segura, the host of the Mustachio Podcast. I don't know what I said in the cold open, but I'm sure it was fucking great. Uh, I would like to welcome. I would I would consider a friend of mine if if he needed to get to Mexico and he came out of nowhere and was like, yo, I need to ride to Mexico. I'm taking this this old boy to Mexico. No questions asked. Even if he offers me thirty thousand dollars. His name is Mike Justice. What is up, Mike Justice? How's it going? What is up? I was gonna ask if you wanted the thirty grand to take me to Mexico or if I could get by with less. You could get by with less. Okay. (laughs) By the way, do we still have like little unpatrolled roads? Like he's like, find me a nice quiet place to get me into Mexico. No, no. This this was a very special time, the 1970s. You could really just cross the border willy-nilly. I think it lasted at least until the early 90s, mid-90s, where you could really cross the border, no problem, especially if you're some white cowboy looking motherfucker you can kind of do whatever the fuck you wanted go back and forth and go watch a donkey show jerk off go home and kiss your wife (laughs) yep 
Yeah. I know he walked home. He walks. Yeah. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We're talking about the, the absolute ending of the movie. We are, but (laughs) that's the podcast deal, baby. We are talking the getaway 1972. Don't forget. I've introduced this to the listeners of the cold open. So they know what we're talking about, but, uh, Yes, we are talking The Getaway, a movie just jam-packed with some fucking stars, dude. Like, I didn't realize, you know, me starting this show, just kind of getting to know, uh, especially 70s film. I feel like I missed so many good movies, 60s and 70s, and we have some legends in this, in this, uh, in this cast, which I didn't realize until I started digging into it a little bit. And I know Sam Peck and Paul, we, you know, we covered the wild bunch on the podcast, yo, which is the fucking mustachioed legend of a film and just a wonderful film. I almost just want to say, go watch this movie, go watch the getaway 1972 and, and get the fuck out of here and then come back. Um, because it is, um, it's definitely a film that no matter what me and Mike say, we, we can't do it justice. You got, you got to watch it. It has its own vibe, its own energy, and it's wonderful it's a wonderful experience. At least it was for me. I don't know. Mike might hate this movie, but we're going to, we're about to find out, but I had a damn good time and we have Mike justice here and he comes with his own opinions. And I am kind of curious just in general, this was, this the first time you'd seen this film? Yeah. Yeah. I'd seen, um, I watched the remake in the nineties with Alec Baldwin. And Kim yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that one. So maybe I need to give that one a watch. It's, we'll talk about that later. That it, it was. It's basically. It's almost beat for beat. Like there were so many. It doesn't deviate at all from this template. Um, it's just except that it's bad. I love Getaway, <laughs> the 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 one the Sam the Peck and Pa movie uh, that we watched for this podcast. I love it. I was kind of it was kind of a where have you been all my life kind of moment for me. Because I was yeah. like, why why is this not one of my favorite movies? Why didn't I watch this when I was younger? Like why have why did I wait till now? But because you asked me to yeah it's kind of luck sometimes you know like i i feel like um sometimes i have fallen ass backwards into you know you've probably seen double the amount of movies i've ever seen and every now and then i get a listener or i get a guest you know that there's plenty of listeners that haven't seen the films i've seen that that we're covering but every now and then i'll get a guest where we both haven't seen the movie. And that is my favorite because neither of us are coming in with any kind of bias or any kind of like nostalgia. We're just, we're just looking at it for what it is. And even if me and you had seen this film when we were younger, it's still from a time way before us, you know, cause me and you aren't that far apart in age. We're both uh, 55 years old or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's the way we feel. We weren't born when this movie came out. We were definitely not born when this movie came out. And, and, and it, these and actors were not stars. Like we were, they were not stars for us, you know? No, you know, it's funny. Out. So I was born in 76 and I became sort of cognizant of Hollywood and stars in maybe like 1980. Um, and by that point, Ali McGraw and Steve McQueen were both ancient history. Like, no, I, yeah, I was not seeing them in, you know, current hits of the day, like, cereal you know and something yeah. like that like um and uh i remember my mom had all these hollywood movie books and i would always be like you know but i only knew steve mcqueen because of the blob yeah, oh and yes, i was right. like wait you're t- the kid from the blob became a movie star what and 
<laughs> but I was like a little kid, so I didn't want to watch anything like um, Bullet or, um, you know, The Getaway. I think maybe I'd seen The Towering Inferno, but it, he was That's one right. of what, like 20 people in that movie. So he didn't really register. Exactly. Yeah, same for me. I, you know, did not grow up with these with these stars. But the more I learn about them, especially, you know, uh, Steve McQueen and um, Ben Johnson, like, you know, Ben Johnson, by the way, you know, we're kind of honoring a couple of mustaches here. And initially I was coming in uh, wanting to wanting to honor uh, the character Rudy Butler, who's played by Al Littieri. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, but you know what? I can't I can't ignore ben johnson who you know he's or, part indigenous you know like i'm part indigenous i'm i did a fucking you know one of those answer she's like i'm a 46 percent indigenous and so it's like hey this guy's part indigenous part irish i, I mean, this guy's gotta yeah. also get on for his mustache well and the well. thing is too if, if there's any non-indigenous people who have trouble with facial hair it's the irish <laughs> yes so if he you're has to grow it out yeah when you took that DNA test, did it say that you were um, – it said – let me guess. It said you were indigenous, Spanish, and you had a little bit of Arab. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's like every Mexican's DNA test. Yeah, and it is a, it's, a, it's a battle because um, you know, I have some friends that, are, that have a lot of indigenous in them, and they have like hairless armpits. Like there's some indigenous folks. Like you don't see a lot of images or paintings or photos of native Americans that have beards. And there's a reason they just don't grow a lot of hair. Naturally. A lot of our, uh, a lot of the facial hair that we have was pulled from, you know, personally for me from Spanish roots, uh, the Spanish are a very hairy people, but it's not super hairy. It's kind of wiry. And that's kind of what I'm dealing with here. Um, if y'all seen <laughs> any photo of me whatsoever. So, you know, it's a little difficult uh, to grow a good a good mustache or a good beard, so I got to give Ben Johnson credit. He must have just gotten just enough of something. I don't know if it was the Irish or it was something, but he 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 has a good decent mustache. But all this at the same time, we got uh we got Rudy Butler, Mister Al. This is the end. Yeah, now that was some. Oh, and let's not forget um, Slim Pickens. Mustache. Slim Pickens, just a fucking. So I do have that. I, I think I put that in my notes. I'm like, we finally run into the most legendary mustache of this film. That was the. That was. A, it was like a cartoon mustache. It was so ludicrously <laughs> like bushy and perfect that I was kind of like, I don't know. It was like I I was looking at it the way that like a girl would look at like a woman with like really big boobs i was like kind of like in awe but also kind of jealous kind of angry kind of want the mustache for myself but also kind of resigned to the fact yep. that i can't have that mustache <laughs> and like yep. there was a lot of there was a lot of feelings again every a lot of bbc feelings. porno i've seen just <laughs> <laughs> kidding but <laughs> it is that's kind of like wow i can't grow that like as much as i i honestly this is the most full i think i've had my mustache in a while I can't grow a stash like that. It's just, it's just full of life, full of character, and Slim Pickens knocks it out the. Can you like? Park. Can you like tease it? Maybe. maybe. Like, can you just put like, like some like shit, like uh, body build, you know, conditioner in it or something? Well, that's the thing, Mike. Is that as soon as you start doing things to it, you failed. Like yeah, yeah. if if it's not doing it naturally, 
it's no yeah, reason you, to do anything about it. Yeah, but you know, like it's kind of like I mean, everybody's got a secret, you know. Like women are like, "What? No, I'm not wearing a push-up bra. What? No, my I naturally look like this." Like, you know, I mean, well, that's would, a great thing that they get to get away with. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately for men, we don't get the benefit of the doubt in that case. Like, I feel like you would notice right away, Mike. Like, if we met and and you saw that, I you're like, "Oh, he's definitely curly mustache." Like, or he's doing so. He's he's like. Well, he's using the, a blow dryer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because the problem is the problem with mustaches is that you can't fake the body because the body comes from like a density of hair. And if you just take the existing hair and just try to make them twice as big, it looks even twice as wiry and fake. And yes, yeah, it's either it's in you or it's not like you're either going to get a big bushy mustache or you're going to get that more kind of spaniard ass shit that i'm dealing with right now um but you know i work with what i got you know i'm, I'm yeah. kind of sporting a van dyke with a little bit of a buzz you know on the sides uh well and for... you're not even you're not even 40 yet i mean my my facial hair didn't start taking off until my 40s like i had a late really? puberty yeah wow like it, it's i think it's like with guys i think it's your nose your feet your ears and your and your facial hair just keep evolving it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does evolve. Our ears continue to droop and grow. Mm -hmm. Our balls go down. <laughs> Just no, so every ball. so I'll grow a, I grow a mustache every winter. So every winter I'll grow a beard and then I'll shave the beard off and just like revel in the mustache for a few months. And each year it's kind of like, oh, hello. You weren't like this last year. That's true. I have seen you mustachioed and uh, I was impressed. Yeah. And say. when I was younger, I had like this like little irish looking pencil looking like horrible cheesy <laughs> mustache twice. like like teenager wanting to look like a gangster mustache yes up yes. until i was like 38 and because of that I've, I've had cousins that have had very similar stashes there's very kind of a peach fuzz pencil stash and uh you know i give them credit for sporting it because it's like hey this is what's gonna happen i'm gonna work with it <laughs> it's like a blueprint or like it you know like an indication yeah, yeah. It takes a bravery I, mm. I, for, for men out there that young men, the you're in your twenties and you just want to have some facial hair and you're looking, you're looking like that. You're looking like a Vincent price, which by the way, no diss to Vincent price. Love. I love his stash, but um, you're sporting that and you're wanting something more kudos to you. You're going out there, you're sporting it. You know that eventually it's going to fill up as you get older. It's a sacrifice that, not all, not all people, not all men have to make some, some men are just born with dope mustache. I had a friend, we were like junior juniors in high school, sophomores in high school. And he already had a full blown stash. We were all jealous. We're like, look at this guy, but he also had a receding hairline. So I was like, eh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are yeah. the other, I'd rather have the, the, the hair that's sticking around than having the dope mustache. I, I think so. I think so too. Yeah. It's yeah. a good trade off. Why not? Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think it'll, if anything, I think your mustache will, I mean, it, it, it'll never be what you want it to be because I think your standards are, are beyond your own reach, but always, <laughs> yeah. But always. I mean, I think that, you know, it'll, it'll, it won't, you know, it'll, it'll evolve or whatever. Yep. My, that's the way I am with my, my mustache, my cock and my boobs. Mm -hmm. I, they're never where I want them to be. <laughs> <laughs> Do you love unraveling a good old-fashioned whodunit? Oh honey, me too. I'm Alicia, 
armchair detective, and host of Dead On, a true crime podcast. Join me every Friday. We'll dive into a case that scratches your itch for true crime, dark history, and mystery. Streaming now, everywhere you love to listen. We're talking the getaway. (laughs) Yeah, we're talking the getaway. We have some fantastic characters. We have McQueen, who plays Carter Doc McCoy, who is that... I mean, this comes from a novel, right? So I guess that name was already... It came up, like, the writer came up with that name. It's a fantastic name. Yeah, yeah, all the names in the movie are from the book. It's so good. Kudos, kudos to the writer. I need to read I need to read the book now. I feel like I actually it's it's not very f- many films especially, you know, just because I'm a lazy cunt, I'm just like, eh, you know, it's okay. I saw the movie. This is one of those I kind of want to read the novel. It's it's from what I I haven't read the novel, but I read about the novel and the novel is um a lot weirder than the movie. Wow. Yeah, it's um the novel is a period piece. It takes so the movie takes place in the seventies, but the book takes place in the thirties. Or no, the book takes place in the fifties, but it's written like a depression era, like a Bonnie and Clyde type of thing. Yeah. And then um and there's something kind of not mystical at the end, but at the end they escape into Mexico and find this like mythical town filled with like old like criminals that ran away from the US and it's like their Mecca or something. And when they were adapting it for the movie, the Peck and Paul was like, I don't want to do anything stupid. So they got Walter Hill to come in and just write like a normal ending. I think it's, I think it worked out well that way. I know they had a couple of other, uh, I think Peter Bogdanovich, uh, who's, uh, he did the last picture show. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, this movie actually is sort of like the missing link between the last picture show and Terror Train, because I think that Ben Johnson probably came on board when, Bogdanovich was attached and the director of terror train. I saw his name in the credits. He was the editor or the editorial consultant. And so then when he was making terror train, he was probably like, Hey, I know Ben Johnson. We met at like an ADR session or something. (laughs) I think this is what like bridges those two movies. That's amazing. Yeah. There's so many, there's so many big names connected to this film, big names that either, you know, they didn't end up being on this film, but they've also, they've obviously done, other great big things and then names that weren't as i mean walter hill i'm not sure of, a, of how big of a name he was at the time i mean i know he he eventually would you know do a lot of really great things but i'm sure he was you know no, he was i mean slowly i mean around this time i think he was playing he was you know also you know he was doing anything he could i mean he was right? like the, he was the first victim in the zombie movie messiah of evil that was directed by the couple who wrote american graffiti you know and he was like wow he he gets like his throat bitten or something i mean he was just sort of like it was he was part of that you know just like a hollywood click or whatever and they would just like work on all of each other's stuff so he was not a name yet that's what i was thinking i was like he was kind of it's kind of a risk in in it this it was very much akin to (laughs) to i know this is a weird connection but the way i imagine like a lebron james who you know you can have a coach you can have an owner you can have all these players in positions within a franchise in the nba but in the in the end of it lebron james who's the main talent who's bringing all the money bringing all the 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 fans 
he's got a big say into who's doing what and in and who's going to have what and who's going to go away. It's a common joke with the Lakers. Like he's just getting rid of people and bringing in people. And I don't know how long he's going to be doing that, but it sure looks as hell that Steve McQueen had a hell of a saying as to who was going to be directing this film. And I got to give him credit for bringing in Peck and Paul because they had had, they had gone, they had done the movie just, I think it was released about the same year. I think it's called the, uh, shit. I forget what it it was called. It's that rodeo movie, the rodeo movie. Yeah. And it didn't do that. Well, it's kind of a, you know, it didn't definitely didn't bust the box office or nothing. It was kind of a, a slumper. And he believed in Peck and Paul enough, or at least enjoyed working with him enough to bring him back on. And let's, he's like, fuck it. Let's just take one more swing at it. And this was actually yep. a, a pretty, you know, yep. even though critics may not have liked it at first, eventually critics started coming to it. But who gives a fuck about them? It was People the seventh paying. highest grossing movie of 72, I think, or something. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it was a huge. They I, made I looked- some money. Yeah, I looked at the box office and it was like it was I mean, I don't know what it is in adjusted dollars, but it was produced for like three point two million and grossed thirty five million. So that's a hell of a fucking profit. Yeah, yeah. no, I think McQueen made the right decision to to go with Peck and Paul. He's a little edgier. I think he wanted an edgier film. I think he wanted a darker film with a little bit of that dark humor that I think Peck and Paul is really great at. He, he's able to create this gritty atmosphere where he can show you the most disgusting things. Like he's able to show you the most crusty, disgusting things and then somehow get you back in. It's a special talent that this guy has. Yeah. I was thinking I, it was such a Peck and Paul moment when that, when uh, Rudy shoots his, his accomplice in like, the crotch and then throw <laughs> he shoots him in the crotch and then throws him out the car door and he roll in his he rolls around on the street and then dies bloody on the street and then you see these like three little kids just walking by like eating <laughs> <laughs> like they don't even notice the body they're just like hey let's go play over there <laughs> that's one thing i noticed um in this in, and i had this in my notes i noticed this in the film in a lot of the violent scenes they sh- they even if it's a split second they cut to kids witnessing it or like they're in the area, you know, they may not be looking directly at it, but they're in the area. And I think that's Peck and Paul's way of showing like, yo, violence is everywhere and it's unavoidable. And even if you're a child and you're innocent, it's around you and you just need to learn how to evolve from that or like adjust to it. And he makes a point of it in this movie because he shows it a couple of times in a couple of different action scenes. He shows children uh, in the area and their families, you know, their parents are trying to get them away or whatever, but they're looking at it or they're in the area of it. And he definitely did that on purpose. It's very obvious that he was trying to show that violence isn't just men versus men. It affects everybody, whether you're in it or not, you know, yeah, I mean, he was a cynical ass man. Yeah, you could tell. Yeah, but also kind of has a sense of humor in a way. Um, it's dark, and maybe not a lot of people would get it. I, I mean, this is be one of the earliest films where I've seen someone cut. Like, I, I don't know, you've seen more movies than me, but he straight up has a guy get cut hard. Like where, where you tie a guy up in the corner of a room mm-hmm. and you make him 
we make oh. him watch someone fuck his wife. Yeah, like Sally shit. Sally Struthers. Yeah, Sally Struthers. Who, From by yeah, the way, like you've amazing. never seen her before, <laughs> as this like manipulative masochistic slut. And you know what's crazy is like it's almost like. You know, we're we're jumping around here, everybody, and like it's a very important you watch the film before you probably listen to this. But like, it's it's almost like he unlocks something. So you know, we're also honoring, uh, uh, uh you know, Al uh, Al Letieri, who plays Rudy Butler, and he's a he's kind of he kind of looks like a <laughs> he kind of looks like a more Italian version of uh Ben uh, Ben Stiller's dad, Jerry Stiller. Yeah. Right? Doesn't he look yeah, a lot like yeah. Jerry, a young yeah. Jerry Stiller, a very young Jerry Stiller? He has that very sim- similar vibe, kind of grimy and just like you just don't want to trust. Like he just has that look about him. He's so perfect for playing this kind of character. Great mustache, by the way. Um, he's got that. He has the uh, creepy uncle mustache, I like to call. Yeah. And he does it perfectly. He comes in. He's someone that's you can tell he's gotten away with so much, so much horrible shit. In his whole criminal career, he fears nothing. He's done whatever he wants. He's never had ever had an answer to authority, and he he finds himself in this situation where now he's against someone pretty damn smart, which is Doc McCoy, uh, Steve McQueen, and he bettered him for the first for the first fight. And I think he's angry about it, and he he has this like vengeance about him. I wouldn't even mind a movie. I would have. I would have liked to see a movie with just, with just Rudy Butler and fucking Fran, <laughs> Fran Clinton, because th- there is some Sid vicious, Sid Nancy shit going on in their relationship. It's also, you know, I also wrote in my notes. This is very much Joker Harley Quinn shit. So you know who played them in the remake? It was Michael Madsen and Jennifer Tilly. No shit. Yeah, and it was, and so that's how I got to know those that's two not characters. Casting, I no, it wasn't, and so that's kind of, and it's, and it's beat for beat. It's like Michael Madsen with like a little arm sling on and a bandage on his, you know, to, yeah. like and Jennifer He's like pinch my like, nipples, right? <laughs> exactly. It was oh yeah. So that's how I got to know those two characters. So when I and I and then it's been like twenty years since I saw the remake. So when I was watching this, I was like, oh yeah, the vet. Oh yeah, his wife. <laughs> like I was amazed that it was like they really didn't deviate at all from that script when they remade it. But yeah, no, it's perfect. Like you know, it, for those of y'all that not have seen the movie or you're listening to this and you haven't seen the movie, we're dealing with you know this mastermind heist guy, and he's in prison, and he's been there for I think four years of his sentence. His name is Carter Doc McCoy. We're just gonna call him Doc. Um, you know, if I'm ever referring to him and his wife, I just call them the McCoys, but his name is Doc, and he's been in there for four years. He applies for parole, doesn't get doesn't get it passed, but he looks directly at this one motherfucker. He's a real cunt looking son of a bitch, played by Ben Johnson. His name's Jackson. <laughs> Uh, I want to say Jack uh, Bainon. Uh, oh, what is his name? Bainon. Bainon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jack Bainon. And he's a mustachioed son of a bitch with a cowboy hat. You can tell he's corrupted as shit. Well, he happens to be. He happens to be from San Antonio, Texas, my home, my my hometown. And he has a lot of pull. He's got a lot of power, a lot of money, and 
obviously uh, Doc re- recognizes that. So he has his wife go in and he tells her while they're talking in between the plexiglass of the prison, he says, look, look for Jack Bannon and and see if we'll see whatever he can do, whatever it takes. Get me out of here. And she does whatever it takes. <laughs> As oh, we yes. find out later in the film, she does whatever it takes. And she is played by uh, Ali McGraw, who I believe was a model, before, you know, for most of her, you know, early career and became an actress later. Um, she plays Carol McCoy. And I got to say, I got to say, Mike, you know, there's been a lot of women throughout all the films that I've covered on the Mustachio Podcastio. Yeah, she she is a a wonderful looking woman. Like she was just I mean, the fact that she just has like foundation on, like for the mm-hmm. most of the film, she's not prettied up. Like she yeah. has a very basic palette on, just to kind of like whatever. It's just basic foundation and her hair, and she looks amazing. She was giving me major Kate Del Castillo vibes. Yes. Like, I just kept thinking, I was like, it's it's Lorena del Sur. There was something <laughs> about I know. I was just <laughs> fatuated with her. Like every like and and he, and I did read that you know when she looks back at this, she was fairly fairly new to act acting and was a little bit, you know, you know, learning the ropes and everything. But she looks back at this and she's not proud of her performance. And I honestly think it's a little raw. You can tell. You can tell it's a little raw. It's almost very you know, if she was in some 1980s campy slasher film, nobody would have noticed. But in the or, 70s, it's a little bit different. Yeah. Also, you know, it's 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 a lot. It was kind of ahead of its time. I She she struck me. She, I can see why she stuck out in the 70s. Um, she doesn't have like that Faye Dunaway movie star like acting quality where she's, you know, playing to the bleachers and, you know, uh, she's very subdued. She looks yeah. subdued. She acts subdued. She kind of has a like a she almost seems like a kind of like a modern actress like i think she would have if she would have done that same job in movies like in the 90s or early 2000s she would have fit right in oh she would knock twilight out the park like because yeah. <laughs> she has this like innocence but also badass like she can kind of flip it and she can seem completely badass about you know and confident uh and and you kind of see her grow a little bit because there's moments in this film which you wouldn't have expected you would have thought she would have just been worshiping doc and doing whatever he says but no she kind of has her own alternative motive you know as we learn and she even kind of really gives him her peace of mind at some point in the film and for a lot of guys this would have broke him but you know steve mcqueen's a tough guy he, yeah. <laughs> he was able to handle it I, like a grown-ass man I did. I have to say, though, this might be maybe I'm hoping that this was Peck and Paw's dark humor, or maybe I'm just a so you know sociopath. But I did laugh inappropriately when um, Steve McQueen was slapping her. I will say, Mike, the first couple <laughs> slaps did tickle me a little bit. They're just very kind of like you're not expecting this. Like it's just very. Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, so the thing that I found kind of interesting about the movie was, so when they made the remake, they sold it as like this big, hot-blooded, sexy, romantic 
heist movie starring then hot real life couple Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, they and were they, together. Yeah, and they were selling it as though like the you know the way that they sold it was like you know the getaway. We all know the getaway. That hot, sexy like heist movie. Like who better to be in a remake of that hot, sexy movie than these two hot, sexy people? And I I was kind of struck. It struck me when I watched the original how really unsexy and unromantic it is. And I think that because Ally McGraw and Steve McQueen famously had an affair during the making of the movie, causing her to leave her husband and become his second wife. I think that in some people's heads, like the getaway is conflated with like romance and sex, because we know that the movie led to a lot of romance and sex behind the scenes. But during the movie, he and she are kind of like the Lone Ranger and Tonto, like, they're just kind of committing these crimes together. They're almost like, you know, they aside from like one scene towards the beginning where he's fantasizing about jumping in the water hole and like embracing her, they never kiss, they never hug, they never have sex. Even later on, once they like are in the motel, like they start sort of like canoodling a little bit and then they're like, yeah. and then they're done. So it's a very, it's funny. Cause I did, I, I was under the impression. I I'd always heard that the getaway was like, you know, that watch these two hot people commit crimes. And I was yeah. like, no, I, I was watching two hot people commit crimes, but I don't know that they thought each other was hot. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, if, you know, and that's something that I think has been mentioned before. Like if you already have something going on and you're already attracted to somebody for some reason, it just doesn't translate to film as much. And I mean, there were some, you know, what's funny, the innocent moments, you could feel the connection between them too. But whenever they were doing anything intimate or, you know, very sexy, mm-hmm. wasn't as hot. Like you just didn't feel, honestly, I felt more hotness between fucking crazy ass Rudy and, and, yeah. <laughs> and Fran. Well, you, you know, know, because it's more, it's more off the, you know, off the cuff or whatever. Yeah. It feels more porno like to be well, honest. you know, Doc and Carol. I mean, they're I bought their relationship nonetheless because I was like, yeah, they actually do seem like they're probably married, right? Because that wouldn't be that's yeah. yeah, it would be a very hot and cold type situation, and they do go they do go through a lot of ups and downs. And, and the he fact was that like mad at her for like half the movie because she banged Ben Johnson. Well, yeah, well, he you know what I didn't realize is that he had a suspicion of it, so. You know, Doc's in prison, and he he, he talks to, to to Carol, and he's like, "Hey, do whatever you want, do whatever you can," and she does whatever she can. Let's just say that. And but but he doesn't know that yet. He thinks maybe she paid him off, maybe she set something up. I know, but you send your fucking gorgeous wife to talk to some corrupt ass like Binion. Texas <laughs> businessman, and and you're just gonna pretend that you don't think that she's gonna fuck you out of jail. You know, like true. And I think in the back of his head, he knew that was a probably was gonna happen but, but he i think he wanted to it's you know he wanted to pretend like he didn't authorize it he's like what you did what i can't believe it it's exactly like, he does go send, full emo in this you, film yeah you didn't send one of your buddies to to, to vouch on your behalf you sent your model wife yes <laughs> and you know he does it he he basically sets up a plan that we find out later that i'm gonna i'm I, you know benyon's like you know what I'm going to get you out, but you got to do a whole heist for me. You're in charge because he's already been a well-known criminal for, for heists. You're going to rob this bank. They're in ties with a oil company and this oil company pulls a lot of money from there. So even though they're a smaller bank, they actually have thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in there. So 
but you're going to work with the people I want you to work with. And this is funny because the whole meeting is on a barge in San Antonio on the Riverwalk. And it was so fucking crazy to watch all that, dude. Like me coming from San Antonio, even though I'm, I'm a Southsider, so I'm only five minutes away from downtown, five to seven minutes away from downtown. I used to fuck with tourists all the time. I didn't get on a barge, bro, until I was probably 22, 23 years old. Because yeah. as a San Antonian, I always saw the barges as like tourist shit. I guess the way a New Yorker would see the Statue of Liberty or something, you know. But still seeing it was amazing to me. Like it was like, holy shit. And I did mention to Mike that before we brought this all up, before I even started digging into the film, I just wanted to watch the movie. And I'm looking at Steve McQueen and he's in this prison. And when he gets out of it and I got to see some of the, basically the environment around him, I was like, that's fucking Texas. Like I just kind of recognize it right away. Texas is like this perfect mix of like, it's dry, but it's still green. You know, that's how I know it's, we're not in New Mexico. We're not in Arizona, but I know we're in the South. And I was like, I bet he's in Huntsville. He looks like he's in the Huntsville penitentiary. And it turns out that the early, the early prison scenes in this film were, filmed at the penitentiary there on Huntsville, which is still there to this day. That fucking prison is still there. I've worked out there. I've passed that place a plenty of times. You, it looks you worked out now. at the, oh, you worked out at the, I prison? didn't work at the penitentiary, but I worked out in, uh, in, that in the part prison of in, town. The, in the exercise yard. Yeah. yeah I worked on the exercise yard. That's how I got this. Like, that's how I got, the, <laughs> that's how I got these guns, <laughs> but no, uh, I used to drive by there all the time. I, I worked for an electric, uh, company, that distributed energy out there to, to a lot of these like small town areas uh, just for a year. It was just trying to get my experience. I was probably 25, 26 years old. And we used to travel through there. That was my first time through Huntsville. And I didn't forget it. You know, being a city kid, all I know is, you know, I think a lot of people, when they think of Texas or they think of the South, they think like, oh, it's just like prairies and farms and horses and shit. No, my city, San Antonio, we're one of the largest cities in the United States. It's like any of your other fucking cities. But if you just get out of San Antonio by like 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you're in the you're in the fucking prairies. You're you're like looking at a whole different landscape. And that's kind of the way it was for me. You know, when I when I got that job, I was just trying to find something that was a little bit uh paying me more in in marketing and PR. And I had to take a job out in hondo texas y'all can look it up hondo texas is that like it makes me think of cool hand luke or something it's a little like that it's a little of that vibe and old town like they still have very old courthouses very old downtowns they're small as shit everyone knows each other it's very akin to that environment and so i could tell which parts of this of this movie were shot in new Braunfels. i could tell which parts were shot in san, san marcos I could tell which parts were shot in San Antonio. Like the bank was definitely in San Antonio in the 1970s. It looked very different downtown, but I could tell that bank was San Antonio. Um, they renamed it and put a new, you know, sign on it. It was actually, I think, vacant at the time. Um, but yeah, like it's amazing. I fell ass backwards into a film. I think someone recommend. And I'm sorry if you're a listener and you recommended this movie, and I just am not acknowledging you. I'm sorry. You just messaged me or retweeted or something, but somebody recommended The Getaway, 
And it just turns out that this movie was filmed in Texas, specifically in San Antonio and surrounding areas that I've been I've been to. When he goes to there's a part where he gets out of prison because she she works with she works with the big boy. She, <laughs> <laughs> she she finds a deal uh and she's able to get him out. And the first thing they do is go to the Guadalupe River in San Market and uh, not San Marcos in New Braunfels. And I'm like, I recognize this whole shit. And like he I love that Peck and Paul, he does so many little things because early in the film, he's focusing on the machinery and the mechanism and the formulaic living of being in prison. It's constant. It's like you're doing chess, you're doing groundwork, you're doing field work. You're in your bed, you're doing, you're doing, you know, you know, laundry or whatever the fuck you're doing. And like, it's just back and forth. It's mind numbing. It's like, if you're someone that's intelligent, that isn't a complete piece of shit, I would imagine prison would feel like a, a mental psychopathic trap. Like it would just feel like this, like absolute nightmare for you. And that's what we see with doc. He's suffering dealing with this place because he's much He's a very intelligent person who obviously he's not a killer. He doesn't want to kill unless he absolutely has to kill as we watch in the film. Yeah, because he's only in prison for armed robbery. Yeah, just, it's not for murder or anything like that. No, it's just I think he was robbing a lot of money. Like he was taking a lot of money and that's probably why he got four years. But I saw with a deadly weapon. That. That's right. He pistol whipped right. somebody. And that's it. Like it's pretty minuscule, but he has a reputation and he's able to get out thanks to his wonderful wife, Carol McCoy, uh, who's just willing to do anything for him. And he gets out. They go to New Braunfels. And I love that scene where he just pictures. I I just like it's weird. He's like kind of picturing them in the river and enjoying each other. But then he then Peck and Paul cuts to him doing it. Yeah, like, I, I feel like that's a really cool way of showing like the way we think, you know, we're like, Oh my God, wouldn't it be so much fun if I just jumped in the river in my full fucking suit. Right. And then you see, yeah, yeah, he fantasizes about it. He did. They don't actually show him jumping in the river in real time. They show him fantasizing about jumping in the river. Then you see him headed towards the river. Then it cuts to the inside of their hotel room where they both walk in soaking wet and wearing their clothes. So yeah, they actually did it. Yeah. That was, that part was very straw dogs. There was a lot in Straw Dogs, narratively speaking, like edit- editorially speaking, like lots of sort of flashbacks and flash forwards and freeze frames and people thinking about what, you know, was going to happen before it happened and stuff. Yeah, so that's, that's definitely like a peck and paw. I kind of feel like the first first half of the film is much more thinky and a little bit more atmospheric. Uh, peck and Paul just kind of creating like, hey, this is the kind of movie we're in. And right. this is a dark environment, but there's hope. And Steve McQueen, you know, doc, you know, he's he's a decent person who's just found a way to make a living in this way. He co- probably could be a fantastic engineer or architect or something. Like he could have been an amazing person in another life, but this is the life he knows, and he's really good at it because he's very smart. That's kind of what he's portraying and that also his wife is pretty smart too yeah and the movie does start off really arty and then as the movie progresses it gets more and more i don't want to say boilerplate or conventional because it is incredibly entertaining but it 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 does become more 
kind of neo western. Yeah, I mean, by the time it's like they're in, they're trapped in like a garbage truck, <laughs> and they're like. <laughs> it's like they're trapped in a garbage truck and then it cuts to like the next morning and the garbage man pulls up to a landfill and opens the doors and McQueen and McGraw just fall out of the garbage. And we don't know what happened to them all night. And I was thinking like, what if they had to use the bathroom? Like, did they undergo any existential crises while they were locked in the garbage truck? I know I would. I know I would be meditating all night about how did my, how did I end up here? How did, how did my life take that turn? You know, but it's like for all the existentialism of the beginning of the movie, by the time later on they're trapped in a garbage truck, it's just like, oh, well, whatever, you know, like who cares what they were doing that when they were trapped in that garbage truck for eight hours, whatever. Anyway, now they're out. No shit. Like they kind of the movie brushes it off, but like it picks them up at night for sure. So they're in there for a while and it's just compiling them and compiling them. And eventually they get released and they obviously are distraught. But I'm sorry, like, you know, they're not hungry. They don't have to pee. They're not like really like they're not vomiting all over the place. She has one cut on her head. Yeah. And they're kind of dusty. They're kind of dusty. And Carol has a little bit of a cut, a little bit of a slash. Mm-hmm. And luckily, this truck was picking up mostly recyclable goods, and yeah, they weren't was... even recycling back then. So, oh, and and I was kind of like, uh, you know, because it all starts because they they are hiding from the cops in a dumpster, and then it's like, then the truck comes along and grabs the dumpster and throws them in the garbage truck. And I was like, who picks up the trash in the middle of the night like that? <laughs> Texas. Texas. <laughs> They were just running by weird hours back then. But yeah, it is so weird that that scene did like I was like, this is a Star Wars compactor scene with without the fun. Like there's just yeah. no excitement to it. It's just mm-hmm. watching two people stuck in a, the back of a fucking garbage truck. And at some point they get released and somehow they're fine. Yeah. I mean, that compactor, I feel like they would have suffocated or run out of the air at some point, like, cause it really yeah. does compact it pretty far. I mean, they are like smushed into a brick of garbage. Like it's a cartoon or something yeah, like. <laughs> like stuck like this. Yeah. And it's slowly released. Yeah. That was probably the most unrealistic part of the film because I mean, for the most part, the film's pretty grounded. I would say like, you know, the way he defends himself, you know, cause they, the, you know, they, uh, uh, they eventually have this big heist and they rob this bank, this, but it's a smaller bank, which, by the way, I put in my notes, like, why did banks back in the day just have their vault out there? Like, r- literally right behind <laughs> Where you can, like, see it from the front door. Yeah. Like, if the door the is open, you can count the money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You'd be like, okay, well, that's there, and that's there, and the security guard's there. Why would they do that? I, 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 the, I, so I go to Wells Fargo, um, which, by the way, don't bank with Wells Fargo. Like, the, it's just a horrible bank, but... I'm stuck with them for right now, but I plan on leaving them very soon. But um, their banks are insane, especially in San Antonio. They've been around so long. They're one of the oldest banks in the United States. I don't know where their vault is. Like, it could be anywhere. Like, it's a fucking four-story fucking building. It's huge. It's been in San Antonio forever. But these old banks that were downtown, I guess they just had the vault there. And uh, it was just easier to scope out and figure out where you needed to go. That's why I think that there was a lot of people that were robbing banks back in the day. They could scope them out, figure out where they need to go. The next day they show up, they have everyone set up. And then we have that whole scene with, you know, uh, uh, with Doc letting his people know. And the thing is about this movie that I think is the 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 fault of it all, which I think if I was Doc, 
I wouldn't have been as happy about it. He wasn't happy about it either, but I also would have been very suspicious is he ends up getting stuck with working with two guys he's never met in his life. What's his name? Ends up grouping him with these. So he's like, oh, no, I'm picking the team. Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, ben Johnson? Bainan. Yeah, Bainan yeah. or whatever the Bainan, fuck. Bainan, yeah, he puts Bainan. him with uh, with Rudy and with Bo Hopkins. Yeah, with Bo whatever Hopkins. his name who, was. <laughs> yeah, Frank jo- Jackson. Mm-hmm. By the way, Bo Hopkins is – I think he is in uh, the Wild Bunch as well, and he mm. also dies of fiery death. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I was reading somewhere that like um, Peckinpah like had him killed in four movies or something. Yes, <laughs> and brutally too. Yeah. I don't know if he liked him or hated him, <laughs> or maybe maybe they were yeah because he's the one that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, who gets shot in the dick in the and then thrown yeah. out of a car. <laughs> it's brutal. It's one of the most. It, there's a lot of good deaths in this film for a seventies early. 70s and a lot of film. a lot of peck and paw blood, which is to say, orange as hell. Yes, like, he loved that like that Italian horror movie blood. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't even connect that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is very uh, jolly or whatever the fuck. You yeah, because you remember when the um I don't know if you remember. Uh, did you ever watch Monty Python when they would do the uh, the peck and paw um, parodies? And there would be like somebody would be standing there and then somebody would come up and like lop his arm off with a sword. <laughs> and then the, the you just see like orange blood splurting out of the stump like and he'd be like, oh, no, you ripped my arm off or whatever. <laughs> and it was supposed to be like a peck and paw movie. It's funny for like 90s kids. That's just like, oh, that's Nickelodeon. But f- like that's like Nickelodeon, <laughs> but with like decapitate, you know, with just killing. People. Oh, yeah, because I mean, Ren and Stimpy would have had like blood splurting. out. Of yeah. Them. Yeah. You know, so. I think as a 90s kid. I could relate to that shit, but yeah, for sure. He gets a horrible in, gets shot in the crotch two times in the chest, kicked out of the car. And kids just step over him with their ice cream cones on the way to the playground. Or They're whatever. like, oh, well, <laughs> just another day in our town. Right. <laughs> and Rudy, which is so funny because he's like, you know, because originally Doc is like, here, wear these you know bulletproof vest you never know what you're gonna run into blah 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 but honestly robbing the bank goes fine for the most part except the security guard decides to be brave why they wouldn't take the gun from the security guard i don't know yeah they just left it on the ground next to him they're like oh he's unconscious yeah i think they thought he's so scared he's not gonna do anything he's an old man whatever he he doesn't want to risk his life but he decided he wanted to and they end up shooting him Jackson ends up shooting him, and that's what ends up uh, Rudy shoots him in the crotch. It's it, what I love about Peck and Paul is you didn't need to kill him that way. Like the first shot in the crotch is so shocking. It was even shocking to me. I did not expect that from a 1972 film I to thought- see some guy get shot in the cock. I was thinking at first I was so shocked. I was like, maybe he shot like the seatbelt to like make the seatbelt open so he could throw him out of the car or something. Like I thought he was doing something else. Like I was like, then seatbelts were regulatory. Well, that's what I was thinking. I was like, nobody wore a seatbelt. Yeah. Nobody wore them back then. Ross Perot, baby. (laughs) Yeah. Ralph Nader. (laughs) Ralph Nader. Yeah. I said Ross Perot. Ralph Nader. I'm sorry. Well, either one. Ross Perot probably did too, but you know, he probably was a big fan of it, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ralph Nader was a big, uh, 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 proponent of like wearing seatbelts. And I think even the, the fucking big, like Ford and Chevrolet, like threatened his ass or like try to find a way to like get rid of it because they were like, you know what? It's expensive for us to put seatbelts in the back. Well, you son of a bitch. Apparently he like regulated this shit out of cars. Like my mom, my mom will like never forgive him because he developed like a smog device or something that like made her car get eight miles to the gallon or whatever. (laughs) And she's like, 
<laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. Like all these other Rough people are like, he ruined the election for Al Gore. And my mom's like, whatever. He made my Pinto like get bad mileage. I Ralphier was so before his time, dude. Like, if he was around now, like people would like he'd have like a bazillion Instagram followers and Twitter followers. Yeah. It's a shame. But uh yeah, so we're back in the 70s people we're in the early mm-hmm. 70s where seatbelts who gives a fuck where our our cars are giant tanks made of solid metal and they're like couches in the back it's like sitting on your fucking living room couch and we see this with with the cars being like tanks because they do the bank heist i wanted to mention this there's uh it's awesome that they do this to create a diversion they have these uh they put they plant dynamite and he has Carol plant dynamite in a hay truck, and then he she he has her plant it in like a, a little bit of further up the street. But he's trying to get by. There's traffic because it's San Antonio, so it's a busy street. I think they call it Beacon City, but it's San Antonio. And so they're trying to work it through to try to get past the traffic, but he can't. So he has to work his way through, and he just barely gets there right before the explosion. He goes to the fireball. He ends up getting on a porch and just trucks the porch, knocks out all the fencing, wooden fencing on the porch. It's got to tell you something about fucking 1970s ingenuity when it comes to fucking cars. This motherfucker still starts up and keeps going. Oh, yeah. Damn, there were like tanks back then. Yeah. Yeah, no, those I, my my aunt and uncle still drove like a 1970 Dodge Dart, I think it was, like in nice. the 90s, and that, that thing was like never broke down. Yeah, like the only thing that they had bought, they had to buy for it was like they went to Target and got like those seat covers, you know, they <laughs> beaded. Yeah, because they had put out too many, you know, too many cigarette holes in the in the upholstery, <laughs> so they bought like those shitty like seat covers that you get at Target and like put them on it, and that was like the only thing that they needed to do to like upkeep that car. It's amazing. Yeah, no, I I the first car I ever drove, well, I. The second car I ever drove, I I, le- I I think I learned from my aunt when I was like 15 years old. I drove like a Ford Ranger. But the second car I ever drove was a Oldsmobile Cutlass. It was from the early 90s, big metal piece of like giant. It was like a sp- speedboat size. And that thing felt indestructible. It had a V8 engine. And I would imagine the 70s, they were even more just solid. Uh, just giant engines trying to pull so much weight forward. And if you love cars, if you love to see car chases and explosions, this is the movie for you. Because you're going to get a lot of cool cars. It's no bullet. There's a little bit too much happening outside of cars. Um, True. Yeah. You get a little bit of it. You get a little bit of that. You get a little bit of the taste of it. And there's some really cool classic cars throughout the film. Um, But, yes, they're able to get away. And it's really a film just about their dynamic, both the McCoys. You know, I, I I didn't even know they were married at first because when she first meets with Binion, I'm like, oh, shit. Like, she totally fucked that guy. Like, I guess it's just <laughs> his girlfriend or whatever. But it turns out, yeah, she's just, you know, it'd been four years. And he and the whole the whole dynamic between them is he can't get over the fact that, like, oh, you were fucking around when I was in prison. But you know what, dude? She still was loyal to you when you really needed her. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, look she, past it. She's a yeah. human. Well, and she even says to him, she goes, well, you would do the same for me, right? 
He's very <laughs> quiet about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this was, you know, the 70s. I mean, what what was good for the goose was most definitely not good for the gander. Yeah, but I like them presenting the question. I think I think that's very um that is a very kind of controversial thing to bring up, especially in front of a film that would bring in a lot of men. For yeah, a woman I mean, to it, question her man about that. Oh, yeah, because I mean, I, you know. I love this movie to death, but it is a macho shithead movie. Like, you wouldn't expect it to have any progressive things to say about feminism and equality, you know? <laughs> and like, no. but it, but it does. And it does in a really cool way. It doesn't try to like, it's no, it's not being finger waggy or, or anything. It's just kind of like saying like, well, you know, like we're in it 50, 50, right. We're partners. Like, so would you fuck someone to get me out of jail? And he's like, Oh, well, I'd probably fuck someone not to get you out of jail. All right. You're forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> it is an incredible dynamic between the two. And, and, and I will admit like early on in the film when um, it did, I'd never seen this in a movie and it is kind of for it being a dick flick of the time. Um, it is incredible to see a, a, a star like McQueen who I guess would be, I don't know, your, uh, your, I'm trying to think of like famous actors now, I guess, you know, like whatever your famous popular actors now, your, your Evans and your, your, Reynolds and all those guys that are sexual icons or whatever. Yeah, he's Could you imagine- like a Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. Like Ryan-, Ryan Reynolds was more of an action. Like if like he's Steve McQueen was like the rock with like Ryan Reynolds looks. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And for a guy to be out of prison and he in their first scene where they're together and they're in they're back in a hotel and he tells her, like, I can't I I can't get it up. Like oh, I'm yeah. I'm traumatized. Like I've been in prison. It was rough. It was hard on me. I I I don't know if I can do this. Kind of, I kind of caught me off guard. Like you mm-hmm. know, in a lot of films, in some James Bond film, he would have fucked the shit out of her and blew her oh, back yeah. out. Oh yeah, I mean, he'd just be like, oh, "I got four years celibacy, baby. Like strap in, I it's gonna be wait. a long night." Yeah. yeah. Instead, he's like, "I'm not sure if I can do this. I've been around men, my you know, for the last four years. I've been traumatized. Who knows what he's seen mm-hmm. in the prison." it's hard to all of a sudden switch to like you're in regular civilian life. And I thought that was really dark and really fucked up and really captured that kind of mentality of, uh, of someone that's has done some time. And, and that's our hero. He's supposed to be our blue eyed uh, fucking kick-ass hero. And you just don't see that a lot, uh, especially, you know, back then. So I, I well, they would never do that. The now. film that. No, <laughs> no, like they would never have. Well, first of all, everything is PG 13 now. True. And everything was would... pretty dark. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, I love, I missed the 70s. I wasn't around for I, my earliest memories are like Christmas of 79. Like I can't say I really <laughs> remember the 70s, but I missed the idea of the 70s. You know? It was, like, yeah. It was special. And, and it was special in the sense of, I think people could understand the darkness and I don't know if that had to do with what those people went, you know, what a lot of that generation went through before that, you know, Vietnam and uh, a lot of other pretty rough situations uh, in the U S and everything, but they try to find like the dark, they try to find the light in a lot of darkness. I think it was just because, you know, I mean, everything was just so patently phony before. I mean, like all the movies, Leading up to the 70s, it was like they had that haze code. So, like, basically everything was PG rated. Yeah. Um, they didn't really, you know, everything had to be 
you know, okay for a kid and okay for an adult. They really didn't have any like adult programming or anything like that. And they never had any flawed characters. Like Steve McQueen was really into doing the getaway because he wanted to play like a good guy, a bad, a good bad guy with a lot Mm -hmm. of gray, you know, because they never had that before. They would just have like, like you said, like James Bonds or, you know, like people that were just like heroes or misunderstood. Like they would never, if the getaway had been made even 10 years earlier, he would not have been in jail for, or he wouldn't be in prison for actually committing a crime. He would have been like falsely accused. Like that guy, Rudy would have like set him up or something. Yeah. You know? So, so the seventies was great because I think that, I mean, I remember like, you know, I mean, the seventies was when like, even they just started shooting on location. Like everything before that was always on sets. And then in the seventies, you can actually see ceilings in houses because they were actually filming in real houses that had ceilings and you can see floors and you can see like people walk outside and yeah, a hundred percent. Like I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, Mike, like seeing parts of town or parts of where I grew up, but like in the seventies window, it creates a connection to this film that, I think, you know, you, you can't really, you can't just, you can't just make up, you know, like you, you could create the best, you could have the best backdrop artist of all time. The guy that can just, or, or person that can just put this together and make it look fantastic. The, you can't recreate what the way things looked back in the seventies around Texas. And they shot in Texas, in Southern Texas, and they fucking did a great job. Um, and the one thing that's consistent is the Greyhound station still sucks. <laughs> oh yeah, you know what? I was gonna ask you about that. Actually, while I was watching the yeah, movie, yeah, we have our Greyhound. Yeah, I was like, because they the, the way Peckinpah stages the Greyhound scene, where it's like there's just this omnipresent like baby wailing, <laughs> and there's just all these like sweaty people fanning themselves, yeah. and everybody just looks like super. And I was like, I was gonna ask you, I was like, is that still there? So my <laughs> earliest experience of the Greyhound. It, it does not look like that now, of course. It is not a lot of wood. Um, you know, that's one thing I always know is that's one thing I love, love about 70s films um, is wood. I love the wood grain. I don't know what it is about it, but it's romanticizing to me. I just, I just, there's something about it. And th- that's all gone now. But I remember in 2001. I would say maybe 2000 me and my buddy, we're going to go to Dallas to go see Metallica. We had never seen Metallica. Uh, we were, you know, 15, 16 years old. We're going to go to Dallas to see Metallica. J- check out the lineup. So it's Metallica. It's um, Deftones. Ooh, System of a Down, Power Man 5000, and Kid Rock. <laughs> right? He just came out with his first album. And he's a big thing at the time. The only thing I remember about his set is they had a giant inflatable middle finger, which was kind of entertaining at the time as a teenager, but the the set sucked. And we take a Greyhound bus. So we go to the Greyhound station here in downtown San Antonio off of St. Mary's, I believe. And it was absolutely horrible. Just horrible. (laughs) Babies crying, creepy people sitting next to you and staring (laughs) at you. People asking stealing you your suitcase. Money. Yes, dude. <laughs> it's weird. Like, even though she was experiencing that in the 70s, not a difference. <laughs> Crying, creepy people, shady people, don't talk to anybody. Like, that mm-hmm. was the entire thing. Like, I remember me and my buddy, uh, luckily, we were from the inner city. So we were already paranoid. So that kind of yeah. helped us get through it. 
but it was not the best bus ride. I think it was about a seven, eight hour bus ride to Dallas, which mm. is about a six hour drive. But it was about a seven, eight hour bus ride, and it was a fucking nightmare. I have not taken a Greyhound bus since then. So I've not taken a Greyhound bus since I was about 16, 17 years old because think- it was that bad. Yeah, no, I don't know. I, I I don't get Greyhound really. I mean, it's like, especially now, it's like they're not so significantly cheaper than Amtrak or even like True. Southwest Airlines. It seems like like they're just, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I mean, it feels expensive. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, Greyhound is just it's just there for sketch. It's always in movies. It's always super sketchy. Or it's just like that, like in Midnight Cowboy when he leaves Texas and takes a Greyhound in New York and it's just all these like mixture of eclectic weirdos on the bus with him. (laughs) Yeah, it's good for that for sure. Um, I feel like the train scene made way more sense. You're getting way more, you know, uh, way more variety of people. And we we do have a good train scene here where, you know, uh, is it a train or is it a bus? It's a train. You, is you, that, yeah. When he follow, yeah. So, so uh, the guy steals Ellie McGraw's uh, suitcase at the Greyhound station, which is a great sequence. I love mm-hmm. that whole scene. It's very suspenseful. He's trying to follow this guy. I, I can't remember that actor's name, but I think he was in the Godfather movies. Yeah, the um, uh, you know who played him in the remake? I think it was um Philip Seymour Hoffman. Not a bad, not a bad casting. Jesus. I think it was him. I remember Philip Seymour Hoffman was in in the remake, and I'm like, he must have played that part. Yeah, and that was probably early in his career too. So he was. If it's not him, cut that out. Okay, I will. But you know, it's probably a C- Philip Seymour Hoffman <laughs> caricature or some sort of in, in the esque of him. But yeah, that, I would imagine like someone that's kind of shady, but. Initially, I what I love about it is he comes across as a nice southern gentleman. Like when I first saw that scene, excuse me, I was like, "Oh, that's totally something some Texan would do." It's like, see, "Oh, and, let me help you out." Now, see, okay, I'm a northern boy, right? And when I saw that, I was like, "He just fucking switched out those keys." <laughs> like I saw it actually. I was just like, "Why did he help her? He must be is he fucking with her? He's trying to steal that suitcase. He just gave her the key, right? Is she going to check the key to make sure it works for that lock?" <laughs> Yep, that's the thing about being Southern is, you know, I think it's easier to be a crook, especially back then, Mm -hmm. is easier to be a crook because we we all give people the benefit of the doubt here. Like, if you're being nice, you're opening a door, if you're helping us pick something. I've literally, like, as a grown man, like, I'm taking stuff from Home Depot, like, it's a big load of, like, lumber or whatever the fuck, or I'm trying to load it in my car. Somebody will just randomly help me, like Mm -hmm. some dude. I've had my car stall in one of the busiest um, intersections in the South side. And I've had, and I remember I was like, Oh my God, I need to push. I need to pull my car out to the side. So I put it in neutral, right? It's a LeBaron. It's a Chrysler LeBaron from 1991, a real piece of shit. And like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to steer that bitch. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is way easier than I thought. I'm really strong. And then I look behind me and there's just <laughs> and four there's fucking people. Mexicans <laughs> helping me push my car. I'm like, Oh my God, like where'd y'all come from? <laughs> you know, but that's just the kind of, the, the the energy of like that's just the environment that we live in is, is people that are always helping you out so i would not have taken that for granted i would have been like mm-hmm. oh this guy's just being nice i would not have thought he was trying to be a crook but what you... i like is he has an accent like he's not from texas yeah yeah his like accent he's... is like he's from jersey or something yeah yeah he does have like some kind of like northern accent and then you see him um 
they go around the the station looking for him. Not to say they... that people from the East Coast are a bunch of crooks, but I'm just yeah. saying, like, he's definitely not from Texas. Yeah. Well, he's trying to screw, <laughs> uh, like, cheat some old lady, like, so he's pulling the same yes. the same uh, thing on some, like, they see him, like, here you go, ma'am, and, like, handing her a key. Exactly. Like, yeah. That's how he gets caught. Yeah, because he, you know, after that happens, fucking Doc is pissed as shit, and he tells Carol, pick this motherfucker out. There's no way he's <laughs> left yet. And they find him. He's wearing this kind of shitty straw cowboy hat. That's how you know he's not from the South. He's got like a fucking hat that Kid Rock would wear. And he's like, oh, this is the motherfucker. And I honestly, Peck and Paul did a great job. What I love the most, there's something that you don't think about that much because we're so spoiled by energy and, and air conditioning and stuff like that. Those trains were hot. Like it was hot in those fucking trains and they immediately start sweating so bad. They, and it's a little bit of like, it's the nerves, but it's also, it's not cold in there. It's, yeah. it's hot as shit. You're in South Texas. You're, you know, I think at that point they're maybe in, uh, maybe they're kind of a little North. They're probably maybe Austin ish area or something like that, but it's still very hot. It, it looks like it's probably the summertime. You're looking at a probably like 90 degrees, and you're inside a very human environment. So, like, yeah, they're all sweating and shit. I love those little extras. Like, it yeah. just makes it feel more tense. Well, Peckinpah loves sweat. I mean, everybody does, in his yeah. movies is constantly wild sweating. Oh, yeah, spot. even in, like, you know, Straw Dogs takes place on, like, the Cornish coast of England, which is, like, 50 degrees and everybody's covered in sweat. <laughs> yeah, they're drinking, like, hot coffee. Like, it's, like, fucking 98 degrees. <laughs> He doesn't give a fuck. He loves that <laughs> shit. But it adds so much character, you know, and they pick he picked a perfect cat to play this guy. Like he just looks like this son of a bitch. He kind of reminds me of this character actor, and I can't remember his name, but he's I think he was in some of the the uh, Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Mm. Jesus, I can't think of his name, but he has that kind of same bad guy face. It's just was, perfect. Yeah, he was in I uh, was in Godfather, I think. I, no, I think, I think he, he was, was in Panic in Needle Park. Okay, okay. Um, and he played like a druggie. <laughs> and then, like, he's good. Yeah, he's yeah. got that vibe. He's just got that swarmy, like sneaky motherfucker vibe about him. Like he's perfect. But I just love the fact that it's sneaky guy versus sneaky guy who's also a criminal. Like the yeah. one of the hardest things to get away from is a guy who also does what you do. Yeah. Or has done it. You know? Right. And then he, uh, yeah. And so McQueen finds him on the train, beats him unconscious. And then, and then some little black kid comes up and like points a gun in his face and he's like, freeze, mister. And he's squirting him with water. And like McQueen grabs his arm and threatens, he's like, I'm going to break your arm if you don't get out of here. And he still shoots him in the back of the head with a squirt yeah, gun. That was funny. <laughs> something that like modern people can't connect with. Like back in the 70s, squirt guns looked like, and even in the 80s, a lot of toy guns looked like legitimate guns well the, okay so that's a very 70s horrible. scene okay so yeah. it's it, so the toy gun looks like a real gun and in the 70s it was perfectly permissible for adults to like discipline stranger children stranger like, kids ch yes. kids who just because if you were a kid especially you know. if you're a man yeah, yeah you could just discipline a kid and it oh was i fun. remember like i hated it i remember adults always being like uh, 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 like what are you doing mister like and i'm like yes you ain't my daddy okay wait sorry <laughs> yeah you couldn't say anything because you, you, your parents would be like no it's uh, thank you for disciplining him you know while he was away like if, now if you did that like even if you just yell at a kid you got some fucking mom that's gonna like take you to fucking facebook or twitter or just yeah. eat you alive but back in the day i remember i would even go to weddings of my 
you know, relatives. And if I was running around and I ran into some kid and I knocked him down and he started crying, it didn't matter. It didn't have to be my parents. I could get disciplined by anybody at that fucking wedding. Like, it was just a different time. And I wasn't going to complain to my parents. It was like, oh, it's an adult. They can they can discipline me. It's like it was like open. Uh, it was just naturally that's the way it was. But I love the impact of that. I love the fact that, you know, this kid fucks with them. And he eventually he sees the uh, the guy that he beats up, the guy that stole the money, and they end up going to the police precinct. That guy gets arrested because he was a crook anyway. They probably found a bunch of other shit, but they found the money that was from the bank. I think it's like the Beacon Beacon something bank. Yeah, yeah, because he, he had grabbed a he did a little like Jackie Brown thing where he grabbed like some of the money off the top and stuck it in his yeah, lapel. Like, yeah. He was so excited. Mm-hmm. He did such a good job of like capturing excited, but also kind of like fuck this is a lot of money like i, I gotta know, admit if was, i stole a bag and i was like this is too much like this is not good now i'm roped into like a bigger situation oh yeah seriously because he thought he i mean i don't know what he was thinking he, he was gonna like good i, I think jewelry. he thought i think he thought he was gonna get some jewelry or like she would have a hair dryer he could sell or something yeah, like something. yeah because it's a big bag you could fit a lot of shit in there yeah True. you could and sell her, like her dresses to like some you know hard up women or whatever yeah it was yeah, that was, and then, but you know, it was, it, and then they, they identify, then the, the kids identify him. Right. They do. Yeah. yeah. Cause they have his mugshot already, which kind of sucked. It's uh, the, the, him having had just been in prison kind of fucked him over because he already had, he obviously has a reputation in Texas. He was doing work in the state he had already been doing work in. And that's what kind of fucked him because they were like, well, this guy just got taken out of prison. We know he's connected with this person and this person. And so they show the kids this mugshot of him and they're like, yeah, that's the motherfucker. And unfortunately, Steve McQueen, he has a very distinct look. He's got like this kind of blondy hair with blue eyes. He doesn't he doesn't blend in very well. He although he doesn't help himself very much because at some point they're in Dallas. They go all through Texas, but they're in Dallas. I don't think they were actually in Dallas, but they're in Dallas and and I'm like, that's a big city. It's even bigger than San Antonio, especially at the time. You could have gotten a wig. You could have gotten glasses, tinted, you know, just make yourself look slightly different. Grow a beard. Yes, yeah, something. <laughs> stop shaving. Like, it's yeah. been days. Like, stop shaving for a minute, dude. Mm-hmm. And just grow something. But no, he wants to look exactly the same he looked like when he just got out of prison. Oh, I know. I know. Because he goes into, the, like, this – he goes – I think it's a, it's either in the stereo store or the gun shop. And That's he goes right. In there. It's a stereo store where they yeah, he, goes, he sees him on the TV. Yeah, and, like, the TV shows, like, this Steve McQueen, you know, like his, you know, an all-points bulletin. It's basically – it's like a it's like a headshot of the actor Steve McQueen. Like, it just looks <laughs> – looks like him like it's straight up steve mcqueen and the guy like looks at the tv and looks at him and he's just like right away yeah and i do that is a very texas thing too like that is a very like um i could imagine that like i was not surprised by any of the facts that like you know the the radio guy right away radio shack man is what i put Mm -hmm. him in my notes of course he right away calls the cops then he goes next door it's also very texas to have a fucking radio shack next to a gun shop (laughs) right he goes to a gun shop Gets himself a fucking, like, nothing. Like, he's supposed to sign a sheet. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's hard. Believe it or not, listeners, it's harder now to get a, a fucking shotgun compared to back then. But it's still very easy compared to wherever you're at if you're not in Texas. But, like, unfortunately. But, yes, he, he goes to this fucking gun shop, gets a shotgun like nothing. He doesn't want to sign the sheet, obviously. 
He hold he shoot he puts a pistol to the guy's head. Blah blah blah. He has him wrap it up. Very smart to put it up like it's like, you know, he can walk out. Like it looks like it's been wrapped up. He goes to the corner, and that whole scene where he's like kind of shooting. He, it kind of shows to it shows that he's not a horrible person. This movie does a great job of being like he only kills when he has to kill. Like he never kills any cops. Yeah, he kind of scares them. He shoots up their car. Just. Tells them to get away, get get their weapons away and stuff like that. And then there's this like really hilarious scene where he he's trying to get out of there in Dallas, and he has Carol in the car, and they have this big old fucking car. He's trying to throw the rifle in the back of the car, and he opens the door, but she reverses at the same time and then like trips him up. I couldn't tell if that was just something that happened, and, <laughs> yeah. and Peggy Paul was like, "You know what? Keep that in." Just yeah, because then doesn't he like turn to her and he's like, "Jesus, he's like, you Carol. stupid bitch." <laughs> <laughs> You can't drive. He's a horrible getaway driver, but he can't help it. You know, she's gorgeous. He's like, yeah, fuck it. Why not? You know, she lets me play with her boo-boos. Right. And um, And it's a, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And then they go to like to this hotel, which is, where's the hotel supposed to be that they go to? I think that's supposed to be in like in El Paso. Yes. I think it's in El Paso. Yeah. That's Jimmy something. Yeah. You know what I always, you know what I always forget about Texas is you always hear like south of the border and like every, you know, it's always Mexico is always I being from California. I always think of it in the South and I always forget that in Texas, the Mexico was like West. Yes. So like you don't actually head South. You can, you can drive West in Texas and cross the border and still hit Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was like, wait, why would they need to go to El Paso on the way to Mexico? Oh, right. (laughs) That's why he says Laredo or El Paso. Like he says, we'll go to Laredo if we don't have any heat on us. Yeah. We'll go to El Paso if we do, because I know this cat that can get us through the border. Yeah. Because if you actually go South in Texas, you'll go to like Corpus Christi and then it's actually better. Like if you don't have heat, it's better to go South. There's less it's less population. There's less, like I can just tell you, like even now to this day, it's easier to go South of Texas. If you don't want to deal with people, but if you want to, if, if you have heat on you, if you know somebody, so I was like, Oh, he's going to El Paso. There's more people in El Paso. So it's harder. To, it's easier to get away with it because there's more people. And if you can get the right person to get you through, you can squeeze in. But in Laredo, you're going to get noticed because yeah. there's not as many people. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a populous thing. Laredo's a lot smaller than El Paso. They're both great cities. I, I've been to both of them. Um, but El Paso is a little bit easier to get through um, just because there's just so many more people there and there's dust storms all the time. And you can just maybe just uh, confuse the <laughs> mimicry, just confuse the fucking patro- the border patrol with the dust storm. Maybe you fit through. But yeah, like. Uh, I thought that was really interesting when he said that. I was like, yeah, that's true. I could kind of see that. If you if you don't have a lot of pressure on you, just go down to Laredo, chill as chill as McGill, especially mm-hmm. back in the 70s, and you're a white guy. They're not going to question you going through at all. Like, just come on in, baby. Yeah, I mean, things Spend used your to money. be – Yeah, I have a friend who grew up in southern Texas, and he's Mexican, and he was talking about how his family would just walk back and forth over the border yeah, like because like somebody was having a christening. You know, and they were like, oh, okay, we're going to Mexico tomorrow for, you know, so-and-so's quinceanera. Okay, now we're back today. Okay. Yeah, yeah. and the border well, towns are so border town in the sense of, like, I think a lot of the families that, you know, me being in San Antonio, a lot of my family is just here, you know, mm-hmm. and we have family elsewhere, but we don't have a lot of family in Mexico. That's why I consider myself more indigenous than Mexican, mm-hmm. is I don't really have a lot of Mexican heritage. Um obviously culturally influenced by Mex- Mexicans, 
Um, but I am actually more indigenous in that sense. But like, I have friends that like their family is from Laredo or from El Paso or border towns, you know, Brownsville mm-hmm. or whatever. And yeah, their uncles are just on the other side, you know, and mm-hmm. their, their family's just on the other side. So yeah, it's like, it's just a trip. It's just a little 30 minute trip down across the border. And it was not a big deal back in the day. And obviously mm-hmm. now it's become a whole situation, but back yeah. in the day, yeah, you just go right over the border and it was like nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. If you don't actually have any, like a lot of connections to Mexico, it's like when people will say like, you know, I took a DNA test and I found out I'm half Mexican and I'm like, you, you, what that's you, a place. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, you inherited a <laughs> culture and a nationality or something. Like if you're not, you know, you can't, yeah. it's like, it's Mexicans are just indigenous and Spaniards mostly um it's like being american it's like you if you grow up there and you're from there then that's what you are but if like if i went and moved to france and had a kid that kid couldn't really be like i'm american exactly you were born in france and you're growing up in france yes how are you american i mean he would be american enough uh, like through me like i would teach him about what being an american is like but you can't inherit americanness just yeah, like, I don't to think me it's you more can... cultural. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's more yeah, like cultural. being a, like Mexican. Yeah, it's like America. It's like it's a melting pot. I mean, they have like German Mexicans and Polish Mexicans. Yeah, and we have the, a and lot those... of German influence. My yeah. my and... grandfather on my mom's side, um, you know, he was he was half German, and <laughs> his name was Manuel Herrera, but he he still looked incredibly German. Like I I didn't get to meet the guy. He passed away in his early fifties. Um, when my mom was 16. So, you know, I never got to meet him, but I've heard a lot of stories from her and he was a really good man. And um, he was a rancher and this and that. And he, and he was able to go to the, 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 the barbershops here in San Antonio when he needed to get a haircut. He would go to a barbershop in San Antonio and they would be whites only. But his primary language is Spanish and German. His English was horrible. <laughs> but he just wouldn't talk much. He would just kind of like point at somebody and be like, that haircut (laughs) (laughs) just like he's some gruff dude who doesn't you know he's a man of not many words he would take that route and they would cut his hair because a lot of places at the time they were just like yeah you you can't come in here if you're mexican you know or if you're you know uh, native american or whatever like if you're of any people of color like you can't come in here but he'd be able to like come in and just be like yeah that haircut and he would just try not to speak with his accent but he had like a spanish accent you know, so it's kind of crazy. Uh, the German Spanish indigenous vibe of this area is very it's it's we're all kind of mixed up in it. So, yeah, it's kind of amazing. That's what I kind of love about South Texas. is We get all those little bit of roots there. Um, I like a good fucking so- Polish sausage and uh, <laughs> a, good, <laughs> a good beer. Like, it's just amazing. Like, it's just it's all mixed up here. Have it's you a lot of fun. Have you ever met any Irish, like Irish Mexicans? Yes, there there is a little bit of Irish. It's because McDonald's out here. Yeah, I was wondering what that was because I was wondering, and 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 somebody told me it's because of the Catholic Church. Yeah, that like sometimes when Irish people were looking for a place to immigrate, they were like, "Well, we want to go where Catholicism is still pretty strong." Yeah, and it was very strong down here. Yeah, so. We do have that that you know we do have a big Irish uh, settlement here, and we also have a lot of um, there's a little touch of French too. Uh, uh, Alsatian, I think, is what it is. It's mm-hmm. a certain uh, form of uh, a, a very uh, 
don't know a lot about it, but we there's this little town just outside of San Antonio called Castroville. And y'all can look it up if y'all are listening. But it's an Alsatian uh, French settlement that that from a long time ago settled there. And there's a few people there that still speak this very specific French-related language of these people from France. It's crazy. Is it like Portuguese-ish? Like, is it like kind of a Spanish? Kind of in that vein, yeah, yeah. Kind of Frenchy, Portuguese-ish, and it's called Alsatian or something like that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so that that town is very Frenchy. They have great fucking uh, bakeries there, and they're very French influenced. And it's this little fucking town that, and you know, it's so funny because like, um, you know being you know someone like me like driving through that town i just was like oh this is a shitty white town but as i got older i was like oh there's actually a lot you know when i was a teenager i was like oh fuck this place but as i got older i was like oh this is actually a really cool place with a lot of culture (laughs) you know you start getting to know it a little bit you know because it felt like a giant it felt like far away from inner city san antonio because it's only 45 minutes 45 minute drive but it felt like an entire world away as a kid from the inner city well i mean when we were young because i grew up in a city too like i did not respect small towns or villages or anything like i didn't care about their culture i didn't care about their history i didn't care about how unique they were i was like these people suck they're not from the city (laughs) and then it wasn't until later that i was like actually it's maybe they have something to bring to the table yeah and a lot of times (laughs) You know, it's a little trickle of people that make it shitty. Like, you know, for Castroville, the cops, you know, the cops really suck there. Like they, they were kind of shitty to everybody. It wasn't necessarily like they were just targeting people of color, but like they're just they were just kind of shitty and just always trying to look for money to get you on the speeding tickets. But the people there, when I finally worked out there in Hondo, I actually worked in Hondo, Texas, and, um, you know, and, and which is only a few minutes away from Castroville and. I got to know the people from Castroville and I loved it. Like there was a bunch of very good people in Castroville, very good people in Hondo. And it was a big awakening for me as an inner city kid, because I always judge a lot of rural uh, people, you know, being, you know, from the inner city, I was just, was like, no, fuck them. You know, they don't know how it is, blah, blah, blah. Like, and, and any integrity at all, they would have grown up in the city. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and they fucked with me a lot too. You know, mm-hmm. when I first got that job in Hondo, my nickname was city. They'd be like, hey, city, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And like, I drove a That's little like car. like calling you college boy or something. Like, Yes. And I drove a little city car. I actually drove the smallest city car you could ever drive, which is a Fiat. Oh, a Fiat fuck 500. It. Dude, you were asking for it. I know. I know. <laughs> I've, I've always been that guy. And I so I'd come in with a Fiat and they'd be like, one of these days, city, we're just going to pick your car up and just flip it over. Like, they would literally <laughs> tell me shit like that. But after a while, they got to know me and we got, I got to know them. And, you know, actually, I've, you know, my mom grew up in a in a farm and a ranch and picked cotton and, and all kinds of stuff and, and tended to farms and stuff. So, like, you know, I have the heritage from it. I just didn't grow up with it. You know, my dad was a city kid. So um, I grew up in the inner city and, and I just didn't understand that life as much. But as they got to know me and I got to know them, we figured it out. It's like at the same time, it's it's a learning experience for both of us because I think at the same time they were like, you know what? The city's not that bad. Like, you know, like they figured it out, but that's what I kind of like about this film is, you know, just to, just to touch it back to the movie is like, we get a lot of FM roads. We get a lot of farm to market roads, but then we get a lot of like inner city roads, which mm-hmm. is not that inner city because it's the seventies. So it wasn't a bustling city at the time, but it's awesome to see a little bit of that juxtaposition of both. You know, we, we get, that's the great thing about Texas is you can be in a city 
and then you could be in the middle of fucking nowhere <laughs> and like yeah. it could be going for miles and miles and miles and that's why it makes sense that back in the 70s and 60s 50s for like in, before then you could be this like wild west cowboy motherfucker and get away with crime because it was very hard to keep track of everybody everyone had their own jurisdictions there was you know four or five major metropolitans really just three or four at the time and you can really go city to city and nobody will know who the fuck you are you could try to put mm -hmm. it on the news but there's just it was easy to get away with and i, I think that's what makes this feasible in my sense of well how how um how doc is able to get away with all this and even though there's some people that notice him and blah 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 you know he stops at that like one place it's like a diner which by the way made me want a fucking uh, uh hamburger and, and a milkshake so bad i haven't had a hamburger and a milkshake i don't even know like 10 years or something I oh really yeah that. yeah 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 i totally and he was like you know what kind of milkshake chocolate and i was like oh, oh. and fries <laughs> oh yes just my god i was just Right away, I was like, oh, my God, I wish we had those old school diners. I would imagine, like, whatever they're making is fucking amazing. And somehow some teenager recognizes him. Yeah, there's some fuck, fucking – my mind. Some fucking cheesemosa notices him. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and they don't even get to eat their food. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a bummer. In my notes, I'm like – yeah, I guess when I was a teenager, I would not have cared about that kind of news. But in 1972 – yeah, you have four channels. You're watching the news every day. That's all you got. So you're going to notice some guy that's Yeah, watching. and you're like some teenager at work, and you're just like, oh, my God, this is so exciting. Look, it's yeah. the bank robber or whatever. And We're yeah. going to catch him. You know, like we're going to help catch his ass. Mm -hmm. And they barely get out of that one. That one's yeah. a pretty tight situation. They're, they're in a tight spot for that one. And they get out because for they, I would say three or four times, they just barely get away from authorities. Um, and and one, time, kind of one time they film. jump on a bus. That's <laughs> like, right. So they they shoot up the town, and then they go three blocks away or whatever, and get onto a bus, and then the bus ends up rolling through the crime scene, and they're just like looking out the bus windows at their handiwork, and then they're just like looking at each other, like, "Oh well, we're on our way to Dallas." And I was like, "The people, the cops didn't even check the bus to see if they're on it." <laughs> I know that's true. That that probably would have been a good idea. Check the bus with a lot of people on it. Yeah. Yeah, they just happen because it's away a bus it. that picks people up. It's not like it's some tour bus that got started in Colorado or something. It's like it's a bus that like literally picked them up three blocks away, and they're just like, "How much to Dallas?" Okay, and they're like, you know, covered in, you know, they smell like fucking gun gunshots, and they're like, whatever. It's kind of amazing, dude. <laughs> All right, give me give me one second. I'll be right back. Okay. All right, Jesus Christ, Ed. I don't know if any of y'all had Lone Star beer, but geez, that just goes through your body real fucking quick. That's what Joe Bob Briggs drinks, right? It's, oh, is that what he's <laughs> you're yeah. right? He does drink Lone Star. <laughs> I'm drinking, yeah, classic Lone Star beer, the original. Um, you know, you'll see some people drink the light, which is blue. Uh, but I like the original. I think there's a little more flavor in there uh, hey. for being a beer that doesn't have a lot of flavor. I asked someone why they made it light, and he says, because people want to get loaded, but they don't want to get fat. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I run just enough to not get obese. Like, I'm I, I'm not healthy, and I'm not fit, but I'm just strong enough to destroy most people that bother me. And <laughs> and mm -hmm. just, I'm just, I'm like bordering right there, you know, I'm 30, 37 years old. So, but, uh, you know, I lift weights, I box, I run. 
but I love me some beer and whiskey, baby. It's just yeah. I I think that's like all you can really hope for is just to like get get some exercise when you're sober. <laughs> you know, like that's kind of like what I try to do is I just try to you know behave myself when I have no other choice, like eat well during the week when I'm working and go to the gym and try to get some exercise so that when I'm hanging out with people or on the weekends, I can just fuck, you know, have like what I call like cheat days, which are usually like four days in a row. Yeah. Yeah. My cheat days are strong, dude. Like, uh, you know, I I feel like it's important to like find a way like today. I'm not kidding. Initially, Mike, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go sober for this. I've been doing more sober episodes, like completely sober, not even a beer. Like, I've done plenty of podcastios, have a couple of beers, whatever. I've done plenty of podcastios where I'm completely shit-faced. But this one, I just could not. I I just, it, the getaway is just, it's a movie that makes you want to have a whiskey and a beer. It's yeah, but it's not the same. I mean, that, the last show that we did, I think you were drinking like whiskey out of a wine glass or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a whole different Daniel. Yeah, that was uh that was a whole different day. But this one, I just wanted a good beer whiskey buzz. So well, I feel like I'm pretty balanced today. So I, I read that um, Peckinpah was drunk the whole time he was making this movie and that he had said they have him quoted as saying, I can't direct when I'm sober. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, well, I can at least do a podcast when I'm sober. But I would imagine I think it does help because I heard he's kind of I heard he was not the easiest person to work with. So I could imagine it maybe made him a, a little bit more tolerable if he's a little bit buzzed going on. Yeah, I think he and prob- also Steve McQueen was a drinker, too. Yeah, I think Steve McQueen probably didn't drink when he was acting. No, he doesn't look drunk at all. No, he, yeah. you're right. I think he was a more we're done now. Let's have a good time. Well, I was kind of I was kind of so I love Steve McQueen. Um, Me too. I think yeah. Steve McQueen is really good looking. I also think that like. I'm not really into like celebrity worship or anything, but having said that, like I'm fairly certain like Steve McQueen and I would have been best friends had I been around then, you know, like I'm just, (laughs) (laughs) I just, I like, I like him a lot, but, um, but man, that motherfucker looks old. He does. He's like 42 in the movie. And I was looking at him and I was like, in 2023, I'd be like, he's 50, 51. And he's like, no, he's 42. But you also look amazing like you you look i i feel like you look my age if not less like you you look 30 36 37 years old whatever well everyone else needs to too god damn it like i feel like you got some good genes in you well okay so well you know what it is so i'm eastern european so we don't age like in, in um what do you call it like like <clears throat> we look young 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 and then it goes whew, and we just drop off a cliff. So, I mean, think about like the, you know what I mean? It's all like, it's like Natalie Wood, Natalie Wood, Natalie Wood. Then you wake up one morning, it's like fucking Boris Yeltsin. <laughs> so slap in the face. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's kind of like being Mediterranean, you know, like Greeks, how Greeks are like super hot. And then all of a sudden they're just like, they have a giant mole on their face and they're like a hundred years old. Yeah. So, no. It's a lady from drag me to hell. Yeah. <laughs> So, so it's, it's that, so my dad is Irish, but my mom is Ukrainian. And so I inherited my Ah. mom's, my mom's genes for the looks, which means that we're going to look incredibly youthful. I'm going to look incredibly youthful until like I'm 51. And then all of a sudden I'm going to look like dot knots on 
through this company. <laughs> hey, well, I'll still <laughs> cheer for you, buddy. You know, I, you know, if only I would love to like just wear like an ascot and own some apartment building and be like coming upstairs and like making gay jokes about like the guy who lives there with two girls. And <laughs> Dude, I mean, honestly, my dream is that me and you, we have a drink when we're in our 70s and we're both getting our assholes licked like on a on the on the regular. <laughs> but wait, <laughs> if I'm 70, that's like what if like. Uh, the poor person who's going to have to do the ass licking. <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm too self-aware. I feel too sorry for the for the person. <laughs> you don't want to go into the darkness. <laughs> I know. I think about that too, but it just happens. And I'm just like, yeah, you're there. Well, might as well enjoy the dark forest. That's like the grandma on the, you remember that show, The Nanny? Yes. With, oh my God. Yes. I that, about that her grandma's like talking about like smoking weed and she's like, I don't like to do it very often because it makes <laughs> me loose. And a uh, friend goes, Oh, you mean sexually? And the grandma goes, No. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, Oh. <laughs> I'll tell you, man, we will, me and you, we're going to still. <laughs> We're still going to get them polished nice and clean when we're in our 70s, dude, because we've earned it. You know, we're hard workers. People love us. We're yeah. funny. Yeah. yeah. It's the least we can ask for. Yeah. So always someone out there willing to and there's give us be, a little bit of love. Exactly. And there's going to be, like, so many ugly people. And... <laughs> I know. That's, what, that's really how I've counted my chickens when it comes to getting women. It's mm-hmm. just like, ah, there's so many ugly guys out there. You know, mm-hmm. Give me a chance. You know, I'm a solid six. Just give me yeah. A- Dude, Anthony Quinn was still getting laid when he was like 84. It's true. Yeah. And he looked like, you know, Jabba the fucking Mexican hut. <laughs> Job of the nut <laughs> all over the face. But yeah, no, I will say that <laughs> I will say like slowly but surely, I not at first, someone that grew on me, because obviously Ali McGraw, she's a model, she's gorgeous. I will say, you know, Fran Clinton, uh, played by Sally Struthers, she grew on me. I was like, mm-hmm. even even when she's whining after Rudy gets shot, yeah, you know, or he gets knocked out. He gets knocked yeah. out initially. By, oh god, by she's Doc. She cries more for that than like her husband like gangs himself in the bathroom and she's like, Oh well, anyway, Rudy, where are we going for lunch? You know? Oh yeah, by the way, we didn't mention that, listeners. If if you've not seen the movie, uh uh Rudy, who's one of the you know, one of the heist guys, he he ends up uh shooting Jackson in the crotch and he kicks him out, blah blah blah. He does it he tries basically I think he sees the situation as this is an opportunity for me to capitalize on this. I don't think he's actually working specifically for uh Benyon. I think he's like an independent guy. I think he's like, yeah. you know what? I'm a criminal. I've been doing this for a long time. The whole movie in the in the first part when he gets introduced, he comes across incredibly cocky. He's like, yeah, I've been there, done that. Fuck you. You're telling me what to do. I've been there, bitch. Like, I know what I'm doing. And right away, you're kind of sus about him. And he eventually he has that opportunity where he kicks Jackson out of the car. And he tries to get rid of Doc. He misses him. Well, he actually doesn't. He doesn't even get his gun out. He gets shot a couple times, but he had his bulletproof vest out. He gets shot in the neck or kind of shoulder area. But it's not enough to kill him, though. He ends up escaping to because Doc thinks he's either dead or whatever. He ends up escaping, gets into a car. This guy's a survivor. He goes to a veterinarian owned by the McClintons, I think, or something like that. And it's a doctor and his wife, who's a who's a nurse at the vet, uh, the veterinarian. 
by the way, so fucking perfectly hill country Texas. You know, when I was when I was working in Hondo, we had a a great uh, uh, veterinarian uh, hospital and a bunch of great, nice people working there. But they're very popular out in the in this in the country of Texas, like out everywhere else, you know, beyond the major cities, because there's so many animals, you know, you have so many livestock. I remember I went to one, they had a fucking kangaroo there. Like they got a bunch of shit going on because Texans are just looking to make some fucking money. Come over here and look at our fucking kangaroo and give us fucking $25 <laughs> motherfucker. And so it's so perfect that he goes to this place and he just cucks the fuck out of this guy. I I I don't know if this has been ca- I'm sure it'd been captured in pornos and stuff that before this, but in mainstream media, like mainstream theater theatrical releases, like to see a guy get cucked so bad that he hangs himself. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, because it's so obvious that his wife is into Rudy from the oh, minute he right shows away. up. She's like, like he doesn't even have to like seduce her or like rape her or anything. She's just immediately like, you know, what do you need for us to do? I'll do anything. My husband and I will do whatever you want. And then she gets like the that. husband out of the picture. She's like, you know, you know, Rudy's like, you know, go get a, a getaway vehicle for us. And she's like, I'll stay here with Rudy, <laughs> you know, give him a sponge <laughs> bath or whatever. And like, yeah, dude. <laughs> Yeah, her favorite pizza was a Sicilian. Just mm-hmm. <laughs> like she liked her some Rudy. Man. Oh, she like, well, you know the thing was her, her husband was a really nice guy, but he was obviously very sort of like probably too nice. He was very respectful, very timid. Yeah. He loved animals, and she loved this bad boy, this this bad hardcore like murderer bank robber guy. And he grabbed her by the hair and like told her like you know what did he tell her to do? He like. He didn't like her nail polish. He's like, get rid yeah, of this nail, nail polish. polish. Take, take bra that bra off. Take that yes. bra off. Like, I don't like that bra. And she's like, okay, all right. And I would say, like, uh, uh, Al Lettieri, like, you know, he did not have a long film career. You know, his his life got cut short pretty quick, I think in his 50s or something. But, Jesus, this guy could capture a camera. Like, this guy could chew up scenery like a motherfucking Pac-Man. Like, watching this dude, like, Every shot that he is in, he's supposed to be the subordinate, you know, to uh, to McQueen, and he is, and he does a good job of that. But man, every time he is on screen, you're just like, what is the next thing this guy's gonna say? He just has this look about him. He plays the perfect like bad guy, but also kind of think he's hilarious, <laughs> like dark. I think Peg and Paul did a great job casting him because. He's kind of even for even though he's a piece of shit, like there's that one part where there there's a lot of parts where they segue to the car because they're just trying to get to El Paso because uh, Rudy knows that Doc is going to head to El Paso. He just knows right away. He knows the heats on him. He knows that he knows Jimmy at the hotel. He has all this insight on him, you know, in Intel. So he's like, I'm going to meet him at the I'm going to meet him in El Paso. I'll knock him out then. I'll get the money. Bada bing, bada boom. And he just happens to connect with with Fran, and the, it just works out that way. And her husband is just this uh, Harold Clinton. It's Harold, just a cuck. He's a time. nice guy. He likes kittens. He likes <laughs> rabbits. You know, he. <laughs> the fact could you like they tape him? It's literally like a modern porno now, mm-hmm. where they just tape him to a chair and make him. <laughs> they make him watch. They make him watch Rudy and Fran just make love like just do it they just 
he just blows her back out and he's injured too which is even worse like this guy that has a fucked up shoulder he's bleeding to death now is that before or after they're like in the car and like eating ribs that's before so they do it before then they do the ribs thing where they have a food fight and (laughs) rudy is like so into it at first at first he's just kind of being a he's kind of a bully naturally so he's he's trying to just be an asshole and he's throwing ribs at her because I think he doesn't like that she's in the front seat and that she gave some attention to uh, to Harold. And so he throws some ribs at her. And then she starts throwing it back at him. And they're having a good time. It's fun back and forth. But she really starts fucking him up. She's throwing fries at him. She's, <laughs> she's throwing a whole gamut. Because she's kind of a badass, too, in her own way. That's why she's willing to fuck over her own fucking husband. And he gets so mad, he just does, like, a whole fit. He goes on a baby fit. Throws, like, like, you know like I don't like this game anymore. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I'm not into it. Throws coleslaw, and the whole time the kitten's meowing because they brought a the ki- a kitten in a box. There's a little kitten. Yeah, yeah. And when they the... go to the hotel, what is the? It's funny the. Oh, the... I'm gonna. That's a quick impression, baby. <laughs> yeah, they go to the hotel, and like the hotel guy, like like has the kitten in a box, and he's like, "These things need to run wild. It's not natural to keep them in a box or whatever." <laughs> I'm like, "Well, how are you supposed to, dude?" I mean, I don't. I haven't had a cat in years. I had a cat when I was a little kid, but I, I so I never had to travel with one. I can't imagine how difficult it is to travel coast oh, to coast. Or, like, no, I tr- I tried. I was driving from L.A. up to Portland once, and I had a, my cat in a box, and then he was meowing, and I was like, "Oh, I'll just I'll let him out of the box because he'll just sit on the car seat next to me." No, he jumped up on the dash. He jumped. He tried to climb out the windows. He tried <laughs> to go like under like where the gas pedals are and get into the engine. And I was like, "All right, like." <laughs> fuck it like don't go thought, full rambo I, mode i thought we could be like a man and his dog but it's a man and his cat it's just, and you have yeah, to be locked a in a box. relationship baby because yeah. i've had dogs too and like dogs tend to be more like hey you let me know like to me a dog is more like if you're secure and you're confident i'm i believe you like mm-hmm. that the dogs are kind of like cult followers mm-hmm. they see you as the cult leader and they're they'll do whatever they'll drink yeah. Kool Aid. You can you can take they die. Yeah, you can take a dog with you to the, the winery for the weekend. You can yes. take them to the park. You can if you're a good dog owner. Like yeah. the, the shitty dogs that you see on shows and stuff. That's a shitty dog owner. It's not the mm-hmm. dog. It's the owner. Like if you got if you got a way of leading uh, a fucking animal and showing them like the way things are and making them secure, mm-hmm. they'll do whatever you want. Like they'll yeah. follow you to the end of the world. A cat does not give a shit it, it, well, to the point to the extent of they'll trust you of course and they'll show mm-hmm. you love but at the same time they're not going to completely want to do exactly what you want to do they won't go anywhere like i used to take wally <laughs> that's my cat wally i used to take wally that's on walks around the neighborhood and i had to stop because he would it would take an hour just to walk one block because he would have to stop and smell everything and then he would run up yeah. in people's yards and go like into their garages Jeez, and stuff hound dog <laughs> yeah and then i would be like standing on the sidewalk going like wally wally come back um so yeah cats are yeah, cats are cats are supposed to like live in your house and like you come home and see them like you can't take them anywhere yeah like right mm-hmm. now you know my brother lives with me and he he befriended this gray cat or blue or gray i don't know what you what uh cat people call cats that are obviously gray because they they call them blue okay because in the dog world they call them blue yeah i wasn't sure so he's it's a blue cat with 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 pretty pretty blue eyes and um she's sweet as shit very sweet very nice she's nice to me and i'm not even trying to befriend her i try not to befriend animals because i'm in the inner city there's tons of fucking stray animals here like it's a it's a it's a problem 
Yeah. So I and I don't want anything to get close to me because I don't want to love right now. I just I just don't have the uh, bandwidth. <laughs> like I've literally told a dog, "Don't be my friend." Like, I don't have the I, I don't have capacity for you right now. <laughs> so don't have, I'll give you water, but fuck off. Like <laughs> I don't want you to die, but like I don't have anything to do with you. I don't want to love you yet. Well, yeah, because in the in the city, animals are like people. It's like you can't stop and give everybody money who's begging. You can't exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. There's so many here that I can't do that. And there's something about this house. Animals just like to gravitate here. I think it's just a good, I don't know. It's a good vibe. Obviously like we keep it well kept, you know, but at the same time, we just get a lot of animals here. So my brother befriended this damn cat. I get up in the fucking morning. I'm trying to get out of my house to get to work. And this cat is just meowing the fuck out of me because it's so (laughs) used to my brother feeding her. And so I ended up having to buy cat food. So we're feeding this. This cat's part of the family now. We're fucking yeah. feeding the cat. We're, Jesus Christ. We named it. Uh, it's called Mana, which is a mm-hmm. famous uh, uh, Latino <laughs> rock band. <laughs> it's based off of Manu Ginobili, who was a, a very popular basketball player for the San Antonio Spurs, Manu Ginobili. So we named her Mana because it's a female because she was Pregos at some point for is sure. Is Mana... Did they have a Corona? Did they do a Corona commercial? Oh, I don't know. Maybe they could have. I, I worked. I worked on. I worked on a Corona commercial, um, featuring some band. musical group. Yeah, and I think it was Mana. It could have been Mana. They're like a worldwide famous, like huge yeah. band. Yeah, it was like that. They invade a grocery store, and so they had like all these people, like they were like playing their <laughs> instruments, like in the like you know I don't know the meat aisle or whatever, and people were like dancing around. That's amazing. <laughs> It's yeah. a small world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so anyway, so you named your cat after them. That's cool. Yeah, we named we named well, he. Yeah, we 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 decided to name the cat Mana. But yeah, so she is pretty much. But what I'm trying to connect to is the fact that like she does whatever she wants. Like she comes into the house every now and then. She'll hang out, but really, she's an outdoor cat. Like we don't keep her in. We don't keep her out. She does whatever the mm-hmm. fuck she wants. And I think that's just the way cats feel naturally. Mm-hmm. Like that's the way they want to live. It's like let me out when I want. Let me in when I want. Yeah, I have an open window policy with with um, you know because and and somebody even said to me, I mean, this is kind of controversial. I hope none of your listeners get mad when I say this, but like some people were saying that like, oh, you shouldn't let Wally go outside whenever he wants because you know he could get eaten by a coyote. And I was like, well, I think actually, honestly, I would rather have a cat get eaten like a cat who enjoys his life and goes out and like walks around in the sun and smells the grass and the flowers and sleeps outside. I would rather have a 12 year old cat who gets eaten by a coyote than a 20 year old cat who was locked inside his whole life sleeping on a pillow and like was a decoration in my house. Exactly. It's, Mm -hmm. it's very similar to the way I feel about birds. Like, you know, any listeners that have been here for a long time, know I, I don't have an affinity for birds and, and, but, for one thing I I do believe in is I don't think a bird should be put in a fucking cage. It's not a fucking house for years. And I think it's very similar to a cat. Like a cat naturally wants to explore their territory can go pretty wide. Yeah. And letting them j- keeping them as kittens, just stuck in this little tiny vicinity of your house is kind of a shit storm it's to them. The, like, the only thing I can, exactly. The only thing I can think of though, is that I know cats that have been raised entirely in like high rise apartments. And they just don't know the what the rest of the world is. Yeah, if you let them go, they definitely yeah. are fucked. Yeah. So I mean, the thing is, is that they're sort of like 
if you raise a cat in an apartment or in a house or whatever, and it never goes outside, that's one thing. But like, I let my cat outside as a kitten and I ruined it. Like I could never keep him as an indoor cat now. Yeah. Like with our, with this, well, I don't want to even say our cat, but with this fucking cat we feed, I still <laughs> want to be that close to it. Uh, it's my brother's cat, but with this cat, it's a street cat first. You know, and yes, you know, we put a the, well. He put a flea collar on it. I think he's got it some shots and stuff. But like, <laughs> basically, this cat is in your wheel, and you're like, he's not our cat. Yeah, it's in the <laughs> it's in the wheelhouse of being my cat, but I still don't want to claim it. But <laughs> this cat is an outdoor cat first, you know, and so like it does whatever. Like she goes wherever she wants to go, and I'm sure she hangs out with other cats. And there's dogs around. Like she finds a way to survive because that's what she knows. She knows the streets, motherfucker. Like she's yeah. like she, she's a street cat first, but she's very friendly. She's yeah. very human friendly, and so yeah. So I think if you have a cat that's just nosy indoors, yeah, definitely keep that cat indoors because it's gonna be fucking killed by something very quick. And also because like they don't know. I mean, the thing is, yeah, is like it's if not you, their if, fault, they don't know. Yeah. And also, yeah, I mean, if you raise a cat in in a high rise apartment, the cat is not going to be like, oh, I wish I could be in a field somewhere smelling grass. The cat is like one of those people who lives on like North Sentinel Island. Like it has no concept of the world beyond the apartment. You know, exactly. So, yeah. But it's like somebody was saying it was funny because they were like, well, you know, they were like, why don't you do this to, for Wally? Why don't you keep him inside? Why don't you put him on a harness? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And I said, Wally's an adult. He he, he can do what he wants. <laughs> and then I thought about it. And I was like, you know, like I said that reflexively, but it's true. I mean, like he's an adult yeah. animal. He's not a child. Like, you know, he doesn't, I mean, he, you know, he needs me to feed him, but he doesn't really, because like, if I died, he'd just eat me and then go like get after some mice to find a way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah speaking of pussy, I mean, the- <laughs> speaking of pussy. So back to Sally Struthers. I mean, this is one of the first films where I've seen, um, cat referenced as pussy. Oh straight. yeah, it's like perfectly straight. This guy refers to his cat to the cat as a and pussy. not trying to be like Funnier. double entendre or yes. whatever. And like the British lady on that show was like my pussy, because I always forget that. Like back, you know, sixties, seventies, you know, pussy was just cat. Like it had nothing to do with the. And that's why I'm like nothing. right, and that's why now, like whenever people try to make jokes like that, I'm like, it's just you're twenty, like thirty, forty, fifty years too late. Yes. Like, yes. especially like I like whenever I post a picture of my cat online, it's always got to be like a gay guy who comments and he's like, nice pussy or pretty pussy. And I'm like, yes. shut up. Nobody calls cats pussies anymore. Like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I got to admit, I will admit, you know, my brother's single now. He, he got divorced. <laughs> This, this honestly makes me sound even more like a piece of shit, but he, he got divorced within the last year, uh, last year, late last year. And uh, that's that's why he's, he's staying with me. He's just kind of getting shit together blah, blah, blah. it's a whole process you know every for those of y'all that ever had to go through that it's a process and uh this cat loving him and everything and him getting close to this cat i said that's the only pussy you're gonna get all year brother <laughs> you know but it's funny we're brothers yeah. it's a joke yeah. that's different but like i wouldn't put that on twitter you know well like, i think you see people make those jokes on twitter i'm like bro that's fucking well i mean i think that that's garbage. that that joke has like got a couple of layers to it i mean it's it, different than yeah. just looking at a cat and going like pussy yeah it's like okay just hacky yeah yeah so so anyway so sally struthers is hotter (laughs) hotter in this movie than she was on all in the family she um, man she is um 
a very busty lady. Oh, when she was okay. So there's that part where she finally becomes so so hanging out with this outlaw like has loosened her up. So she's the the whole movie. She's been wearing these like constipated sort of preppy clothes. Yes, and then she finally becomes like the, the he unleashes her inner woman, right? So yeah. she's what she's wearing like these like Daisy Duke pants, this like t- this like checkered button up shirt, like tied around her midriff it's with like a no slutty bra. picnic blanket yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she's like got these like giant headphones on the like 70s like you know and she's like dancing around yeah she's got like uh beats by dre and just giant knockers sticking out of a picnic blanket. see and it's that's what that's that's kind of why like Gen- jennifer tilly didn't really work that well in the remake because she's you will never buy her metamorphosis into yes the slutty girl because she automatically seems kind yeah. of that hotness yeah because yes, she kind of was like the, innocence exactly because at the beginning of the movie when she's like the repressed vet's wife she's kind of like it's very believable oh. yeah yeah but with jennifer tilly i was just like oh you're already just like you know yeah. <laughs> like it's very classic like farmer's daughter porn mm-hmm, like it's mm-hmm. like she's this innocent you know, she's, oh, never she's totally this Sicilian guy coming through. With I know some mustache. like, well, you know, it's funny too, because like, you know, in, in like in those days, well, maybe not in the seventies, I think in the seventies, people started to lighten up, but you know, until like the, you know, through the fifties, sixties and seventies and stuff like Italians were just like, you know, swarthy, non-white, like sex yes. monsters, you know, like yes. no, no blonde girl from like a farm would have anything to do with some Italian guy. So they were like, yeah. So it's yeah, but she is definitely like very hot summer and barefoot. It's very County kind of, it's very movie. akin to like I guess in the eighties and nineties where like the way they they treated Spanish people or like Latinos, where it's like we're all like just very warm and just sexual and just like blah, blah you know, like well it's it's it well it's so Italians Italians got sort of absorbed first because by the yes, time that they were like, the OGs. Yeah, because that dude who played like Tina's boyfriend in Nightmare on Elm Street is Mexican in real life, but his manager told him to change his name to Nick Corey, and he said, "Pretend you're Italian." (laughs) Whereas, like a generation before, Dean Martin had to pretend to be English or whatever, and couldn't be couldn't be to be sexy. Yeah, yeah, no, but Italians are definitely like from that sort of you know, um, they're the the classic sexy to me. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I mean. That stereotype is not undeserved. I do think I do think Italians and Spanish people and Latins are like well, yeah. Sexy culturally, and we're very sexual. touchy people. Yeah, yeah, we're very, you know, uh, you know. I grew up, you know, the we kiss each other like Mel to Mel's, like we kiss each other, like we're just like a very touchy people. Um, I think from other cultures, and it's normal to us, you know. Um, and and that's not so much the case, you know, for everybody. But like, yeah, we just are naturally a little more. We're a little more forward. Like mm-hmm. I think culturally, uh, especially you know me growing up, like even in my environment, which is a little bit of a mixed bag. You know, it's not so much classical Spanish, but like you were kind of seen as a as a, um, I guess as someone that's weaker if you like you don't have the guts to go up to some to a woman or someone that you want to take out and tell them straight up like i think you're very attractive like you just like give them the words like you just be oh yeah coveting covet, covet, from afar is not tolerated yeah. or as people as, as as kids would call riz we had you had to have mad riz <laughs> <laughs> and if you did not you were seen as a coward like you're seen yeah. as like a you know i guess a cat 
Well, you guys, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, that definitely comes from like that, the whole like the Mediterranean. It's also like Being Italians, confident in yourself, Spaniards, yes. like Greeks. Greeks are like that, you know, like the we are two wild and crazy guys. Like, I think I don't know if they were supposed to be Albanian or Greek or what those guys on but SNL that's... were supposed to be, but they were supposed to be some kind of like southern, swarthy, like European. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah, you you had to have it's a it's crazy because it's a juxtaposition to uh, you know speaking of SNL to the um you know the what was the Will Ferrell in in uh, uh, what's it the Forte characters the the guys that just do the oh they're just yeah the ones who, white the, guys the night at the Roxbury night at the Roxbury kind of stand there and like cock their heads yeah they try to be confident but it's not sexy no they're they're it's like the opposite of us no they're definitely like they definitely are are Scandinavian British derived um some kind yes. of like northern european danish like but more like lame and like <laughs> trying too hard and cringy mm-hmm. like i feel like back you know back in the day it's like oh yeah if you're latin like all of a sudden you just know how to say just you know how to weave the right amount of words just to find you know well like whoever said like you know like oh man i can't wait to go to like scotland and like fuck my way across the country like if you're going to take like a sex like when girls want to take like sexy vacations they go to italy they go to spain <laughs> they go to you know like they're not nobody who ever took a sexy vacation to sweden well except for guys who who are obsessed with blondes but you know like that's that's true you, that's that's some inside baseball shit like, like i'd probably have to know like, what you're if i was after. like 6 foot 3 I would probably do great in Sweden, but I'm not. They would all be taller than me. Well, how tall I'm are you? Solid five ten. Five ten is still like no. I think you do okay because even like even the tallest Swedish women are only going to be like five ten. I always imagine they're just like tall as shit. I don't know why. I just always imagine they're super tall. I, I, well, I mean, it's, I think it's just I'm tall for a Mexican, but I'm yeah. still, I'm still not tall. I'm not well, no, tall but I think I think there's like a lot of a my different... friends are tall. I think there's a mutual admiration society as far as that goes, because, you know, like all those Swedes, like all those, you know, they all want like to bang like Turks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And true. stuff like yeah, that. They want and, some, like, and I I honestly, I've I've had someone come up to me, you know, before uh, and be like, hey, are you like, a, are you, you know, it's something about it, especially in college. I feel like in college, people just try to guess your ethnicity for no reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember I had somebody be like, hey, are you Turkish descent? I'm like. No, I'm from here. Like I'm going yeah. to I'm going to college in San Antonio. I'm just an mm-hmm. indigenous fucking Spaniard son of a bitch. And uh, they were like, "Wow, you look so Turkish." I have some family in. Tur- well, I mean know. that's that shows you about the you know that that really illustrates the whole like sort of theory of it, things being on a spectrum. You True. know, like yeah. because you know because sometimes I'll look at people and I'm like I'm like you know that person could be Latin or they could be black or they could be like Turkish or they could even be you know like. Well, I mean, and look at like Irish people, like you know, Alec Baldwin. I mean, if someone told you, you know, in the '90s, like Alec Baldwin is Spanish, you'd be like, okay, yes, yeah, sure, yeah. It's not you a know. big difference. I mean, I mean, yeah, there's a difference, but there's you know, between Alec Baldwin and uh, you know, uh, fucking, uh, uh, you know, what's his name uh, from desperado uh, oh antonio banderas yeah you know like yeah. you can find a middle line between there but yeah he's an irish guy and well he... i mean you know well okay so like you know so the iberian peninsula was you know occupied by arabs for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds yeah. of years and all the spaniards who came to the new world and colonized the new world all had were all at least a quarter arab if not half arab and that's exactly. why all everybody in the new world is got you know that's why when like salma hayek who's lebanese moves to mexico like nobody ever goes like you're middle eastern aren't you like she just looks 
looks like a Mexican, right? Yeah. So, but I mean, but I think in Northern Spain, like in the Basque country and stuff that that's, that's, that's where people would look like Alec Baldwin or like in, um, in Galicia. Exactly. Is, it's like, everybody's so Celtic looking up there. Like they're so different like, parts of Spain. Yeah. They look mm. like completely different people. Yeah. Depending on where you're going, mm. like the, 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 you know, the, where their roots are at. Yeah. You definitely a different look. And I think even me like looking kind of Turkish, I think has a little bit to do with that when it comes to being, mm-hmm. having a uh, Spaniard in me, I think there's a little bit of part of that. Cause, but one thing that I did do is like when someone told me that I looked up Spaniard men, I just Google and I searched mm-hmm. them and I was like, Jesus Christ, these guys are fucking sexy as shit. I was like, all right, cool. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take yeah. It. No, I, I was like, I'm, 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 just I'm getting large bearded, beautiful guys with a lot of hair. Yeah. No, it's funny. Cause every time I'm on Instagram and I'll see a picture of some guy and I'm like, Oh, he's really attractive. And he's always, it's always a Spanish dude or a Brazilian right yeah yeah good looking brazilians and then my friend carlos would tell me he's like well all brazilians are sluts and i'm like well (laughs) i think they're just supposed to be like they're just you know they're liberated (laughs) brazilians just you know like there's a lot of things that brazilians don't have they don't have like any hang-ups about sex they also don't seem to have any hang-ups about wanting to have a a stable economy whatever true yeah they they ride the lightning and like they're also a country that created like they're their asses are so great that the techno like the the procedure of getting your butt prettier is called mm-hmm. a bbl mm-hmm. a brazilian butt lift their butts are so great is that everyone just wants their butts to look like theirs like oh, that's amazing to me yeah and so so and i have I'm a big fa- butt guy so yeah i have family in brazil so so half of my family emigrated to the us and the other half of my family got a raw deal and had to go to brazil so I have family that that like that grew up in like uh, my cousin grew up in Brazil. He was born in Brazil, and so he's Brazilian. And he was telling wow. me he's and he's like he's like he's like I'm going back to teach music. And and I was like, oh well, that's not bad. Well, he's a composer, and he's like, well, I want to be a composer, but I'm going back to teach music. Well, it is okay because there are so many pretty girls. There's so many people to have an affair with. And I was like, with your students? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, wait. <laughs> You're going to you're going to you're going to sleep with your students. He's like, well, why else would I be a teacher? And I was like, is that is that frowned upon? He's like, well, no, I mean, it's you know, you're teaching them. Wow. And he's like, they're in college. OK, like <laughs> and I was like and I mean, that's just so like funny that it was like and I mean, on, a, on some level, I mean, it makes sense. Like, it I wish does. we could all just be that innocent, you know, because I mean, when I was in college, you wouldn't have asked me twice if I want to bang some hot 40 year old professor of mine or something. But you know, maybe in America we're too uptight, but Brazilians, or maybe we, maybe there's a middle ground. <laughs> True. I mean, it kind of goes the same for like, um, oh, shit. I can't remember his fucking name, but um, uh, the guy from This Is the End, and he was, um, uh, oh, um, James Franco. Um, James Franco. Yeah, God. like this thing goes for him. Like he's a he was a guy that was teaching a collegiate level and was sleeping mm-hmm. with his students and this and that. It's like, um. Yeah, but you know, I mean, guy, I don't think he was seeing with anyone underage, but I mean, it's no, that same no, kind I of think it, it's that same energy of like, oh, I'm your teacher, but I'm gonna. I think he was I'm not saying just, it's okay what he did, by the way. No, <laughs> just no, like, but I mean, it's like, like I even have like, I mean, I my friend, like, I have a friend who worked at um at a hotel where James Franco would be all the time, and 
my friend is male and James Franco would be just like, you know, hey, thanks for the room service. Rah, rah. And my friend was like, is there anybody who James Franco will not sexually harass? <laughs> this is a very, yeah, I think he has a very sexual addiction. Like, like he wasn't, it's not like, I don't think he ever, I mean, I don't think he's like legitimately bisexual, but I do know that James Franco was like, kind of had like bisexual envy. Yes. Wanted to be seen as like this guy with no boundaries or whatever and stuff. And I, I and so it's like nobody's, nobody's safe from him. I can totally, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, all the all listening, you're not safe from Dick Franco. He's around. Watch out. I always, I I remember intelligent and smart and talented. I always, I always hated James Franco because James Franco was basically like a, a like a hotter, more famous version of me. Like he would just, he'd, he'd be like, hey, I just like, took all these outtakes from like my own private Idaho and cut them together into like a six hour long weird movie and added some like Pino Dinaggio music to it. And everyone's like, you're a genius, James Franco. And I'm like, <laughs> I did the same thing on YouTube last week. Anyone? Anyone. That's why I'll always be a Dave Franco fan. <laughs> that guy well, yeah, because he like comedies. Oh yeah. Because, and because you know that if he lived in James Franco's shadow, that like, he's, he's probably be, cool. He's probably yeah. got a lot of integrity and he's like rebelling against that. Like <laughs> yes, James yeah, Franco's like, if I take enough Adderall, I can be on general hospital and go to college <laughs> and be in this movie. And it's like, shut up. Yeah. When they called James Franco a Renaissance man, I was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, what the fuck are we doing? Like, this is insane. This guy's just, looking for poon yeah no and yeah exactly i liked him better when he was just on that show that freaks and geeks you know yeah his early years were fine but uh yeah it's not great when i think seth rogan is more fun to watch like that's not good (laughs) that doesn't say doesn't say a lot and seth rogan threw you know james franco under a bus they're like well yeah seth rogan what do you think about your friend james franco like coming under fire for being a sexual harasser who james i don't know i barely know him you know the guy imagine making millions of dollars based off someone like let's imagine me and you become friends like we are friends but imagine we're friends and we make films we make millions of dollars I fuck up and you're just like, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't really, I don't you know, really know. Him. Like he had a podcast and that's how yeah. I knew him. No, you know, the thing is I would never do that, but it's not, it's, it's not so much so because I'm loyal and authentic. It's because I just don't know how to play the game. Yeah. So, so I would gonna say like, what you want to so, say. Yeah. So I always will end up shooting myself in the foot. They're like, you have one chance to become famous, Mike, throw Daniel under the bus. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't think what he did was wrong. <laughs> And then I'm like working at fucking, you know, uh, you know, Best Buy like three weeks later. And I'm like, well, I just was honest. (laughs) Oh, my God. You know what? He really gave a lot of the women a chance. You know, He was really giving them an opportunity, even though he was uh, jerking off in front of them. Right. Oh, yeah. That was what CK. Louis CK. people. (laughs) Yeah, dude, that is the worst thing. But, you know, thanks. Like I said, dude, if you came up to me. I'm serious. If you said like, "Hey, I need to go to Mexico," I'd be like, "Don't tell me why. I'm just gonna get you to Mexico." <laughs> well, I don't want to know. I mean, I would, but I would want to go to like Merida or someplace like in the Yucatan. Like, I just want to go someplace where it's really safe for like white people. Yeah. Now going to like, I feel like that's true. Like some kind of some, a topic to bring up. Like, yeah, I think going to Mexico back in the day was like an easy out it was like yeah. oh yeah go to mexico nothing now you go to mexico geez you don't know what you might run into if you go to the wrong place if you're going so if you're going there with without somebody that knows the land like man you could run into some heavy shit i mean and- i would go to like 
the middle of Mexico, you know, that like green strip, like down in the yes. south of Mexico, like above Guatemala, like I might go there, but like, I don't want to go to like the desert in northern Mexico. Like they, that Oof. place isn't supposed to be inhabited. It's only inhabited so that Americans can have cheap factories and like drugs yeah. and brought, but I would go to like Yucatan, like, like wherever they filmed, like, you know, did you ever see that movie Tintorera with, um, about the two, like the weird, like sexy shark hunters who like, what the fuck? No, I got to check that out. What okay. year did that come out? So, um, Oh God, I forget his Is name. Like a... Um, Oh, you know, Andres Garcia who yeah, just yeah. died. Yeah, um, yeah. he's a, he was a like telenovela star. So him and Hugo Stiglitz, um, play like these two like sexy shark hunters who like um and susan george comes to mexico like on some like british woman sex vacation and ends up having like a three-way relationship with them but then like andres garcia gets eaten by a tiger shark <laughs> holy shit dude. and it's like but it's just like a this postcard movie and it's um it's directed by this guy oh, i forget his name something junior he made i think he made um the night of the bloody apes or whatever. Anyway, he was this Mexican oh. director and he always put Andres Garcia in his movies and he'd always like showcase him in like the gayest way possible where he'd just be walking through the whole movie in like a speedo, like lifting weights and like, <sighs> like winking at people and stuff. And like, yeah. yeah. And so like, that's the kind of Mexico that I, I want to go to like 1970s hedonistic resort <laughs> Mexico. That would be, I know. I I, I just like, want to drink rum. I know this is Cuban, like to for me to say. I want to I want to drink rum out of a coconut, but I know that they would have that in Mexico where I want to. They go. got they got it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they got plenty of it. Of course, tequila is their number one. But yeah, you could definitely get some rum in Mexico. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely a more Islander. Uh, I want to be dating a, to the Beli a Yeah, I want to go to like the Belize area of Mexico, like that side. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. Just getting fucked up on rum and just dancing the night away and. Having a damn good time. Are you talking about Rene Cardona? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. He's from uh, Havana, Cuba. So, yeah. So oh, he, is he? Yeah. So he oh, knows his... so that's why, like, I'm getting, like, coconut vibes <laughs> from yep. that movie. Sounds about right. <laughs> but, I mean, he was, he did all, all the movies he made was, he made this one movie called Chile Picante, which is, like, this really, really, like, sexy, like, um sort of kind of like mexicans trying to make like hollywood knights or something <laughs> and uh and i remember like my friend going like i can't believe this movie's mexican like i can't and it's like i think it was like i think they had like a little window of opportunity when like the censorship was relaxed for like a second and they made wow. this movie yeah and it's just basically just like it's just nothing but like sex jokes topless women um, like three's company antics with like people overhearing shit and people talking in the other room, like somebody trying to open a window, just like, just open it, open it, stick it in. I'm trying, I'm trying. Like, <laughs> <laughs> holy shit, dude. Yeah, I would totally be checking out Renee's movies. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, watch Chile Picante and Tintorera, and that's like the two. Like that's, that's your, like, cause the other movies that he made, they were all for export and they were all just very like PG rated. Like, Oh, let's make a movie about the Bermuda triangle. Let's make a rip off of airplane. Like these two. But then if you want to see like some authentic, like tacky ass, like flea market VHS, Mexican sexy movies, that's what they are. All right. Yeah. I'll give that, I'll, I'll find that shit. And I have to tell, uh, as y'all know, uh, Eddie, the ax, I have to tell him to add that to the, the bloody bin or the blood blood bank. Yeah, oh my boy. god! I'm sure he'll help me out with that. 
Yeah, well, here's the thing is a lot of people, especially nowadays, they don't like Tintorera because there's a lot of scenes of like actual sharks getting like shot by like. Uh, yeah. But I mean, here's different, the thing. Yeah, different. Time. They were they would be dead now anyway. True. <laughs> and <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe you guys. Well, first of all, you have to watch the American. There's a Mexican version that's like two and a half hours long. That's like you. But the American version is that they cut down is actually better. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> Listeners, uh, check check that out. See what you think. You never know. We're talking about something the, you like. We're talking about the getaway, right? We are <laughs> talking about the getaway. You know, I did want to touch on, you know, we're, we're rounding it up here, but like um, that final uh, fight scene where our gun gun fight scene where it's very peck and paw ish because it's when we really get to see McQueen uh, or Doc f- like show that he's pretty cold-blooded killer they can get shit done when he really needs to get done because for the most part he's not a john wick he's not just trying to plow and mow through a bunch of people and well he's plowing some people but he's not trying to (laughs) mow through a bunch of men and like you know kill a bunch of people like he actually does um make an effort to not kill every single person that gives him shit like he could have just killed that clerk in dallas and he would not have the cops show up but he didn't want to do that because he's he really sees himself more as like someone that's just trying to do heist. He's more of a heist burglar kind of guy. He doesn't really want to kill people. I think that's kind of alluded to also like him being in prison for assault with a deadly weapon. Like yeah. you never have assault with a deadly weapon unless you had the chance to kill someone with a deadly weapon, but you chose to just assault them. So it's knock him out. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you see that and you see him do that a couple of times. And um, the only Kind of ironically, the only person he really tried to consider killing um, uh, until he gets majorly confronted by uh, um, by ba- uh, Bainan's um, people, he 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 does try to do a headshot on on Rudy on Rudy Butler. He does try to do a headshot, but he misses and he hits him in the shoulder, and that's why he lives and he comes back to haunt his ass for the most part. But then once he gets confronted by the Cowboys, uh, uh, Bainan's guys, he ends up having to it's 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 life or death you know they're he's trying to they're trying to kill him they're trying to kill his wife so there's this huge gunfight in a hotel and i gotta say it's a great sequence not a lot of super crazy cuts um i thought i thought peck and paul did a great job of capturing the intensity of the moment but also that suspense of you don't know if someone's around the corner i just thought the i just think it was a good job uh it, it was raw and he had this shotgun, so he's just blasting fools. I love the creativity of him shooting the guy in the elevator, and he just ends up falling down to his death. <laughs> like it's like four floors. It's not even that many floors, but he's kind of an older guy. He's kind of Ponson, so he he fucking dies on impact, and he just destroys everybody. It's like the most bloody scene I think in the film, which is it's kind of the climax. It is kind of very like um, it did kind of remind me a little bit of Taxi Driver. Yeah. So, and I mean, I would like, I never hear, I I don't know if this is like film school 101, but like, did Scorsese ever say he was influenced by Peck and Paul? Ooh, that's something to question. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I mean, it's like, was he directly or was that just, was that sort of kind of, kind of, same. Kind of the, that, you know, that the era was just given to scenes like this. Cause like the whole shootout in the hotel at the end, I was like, cause there was like a lot of like slow-mo mixed with like, not so slow-mo and like, you know, these, you know, it's, it's all diegetic. I don't even, there's no score that goes along no, with it. I think it's just it's like just shooting raw. and stuff. Yeah. 
yeah, it's just people walking, you know, just the boots walking and people yelling. And, and then every once in a while, some like old lady will stick her head out of the hotel door and be like, ah, and like slam it. <laughs> and there's another quick cut where the, you see a couple of kids seeing it too. And like, wow, he just threw that in really quick. There's just a couple of kids wondering what the hell's going on because this is a pretty big hotel. So, and yeah. then, so I love the part where, um, uh sally struthers is she's been knocked unconscious and rudy has left to go find a doc and kill him and she wakes up in the hotel and or in the hallway and she's like where's rudy where's rudy where is he and like one of the hitmen comes walking down the hall and she like looks at him and she like beseechingly and she's like tell me please where's rudy and he just kind of like looks at her and he goes crazy broad and keeps yeah (laughs) yeah he says no i haven't seen rudy you dumb broad And he just looks at her like she's this dog barking on like the end of a leash or something. He's just like, oh, God. Yeah, he dismisses her so quick. He's like, I'm trying to be alive right now. So, no, I have not seen Rudy because he knows who she's talking about. So, I, like, no. I hate to keep bringing up the remake because the remake is not good. But what my memory of the remake is that um they combined the death. So, the death of Rudy in the, in the getaway in 1972 is a little anticlimactic, I thought. A little bit, yeah. It kind of reminded me of when John Saxon got shot in Appaloosa, and we were both kind of like, "Oh, wait, there it goes. Is he dead?" Yeah. yeah, and and so they in the remake they combine it so that with the elevator death, so that Michael Madsen is Rudy, and he gets um, Alec Baldwin shoots the elevator cables and makes the elevator plummet down to the lobby right where. Uh, Jennifer Tilly is on the phone going like, I want to report that like somebody's my boyfriend Rudy's missing or whatever. And then like the elevator just like explodes and like Michael Madsen's like body falls out and she screams. <laughs> that's pretty. I got to admit, like, that's kind of worth watching the movie. At least I thought once. we were going to go back to the veterinarian. <laughs> I will Why say- are you in the elevator? <laughs> I will say vocal wise. <laughs> kind of similar they really did they're like let's try to find someone that has just annoying of a voice as... mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but it Jennifer was Tilly has that voice but it was really funny i mean i don't know i don't remember uh so this was pre all in the family right i think so yeah so it's kind of funny that like sally struthers ended up being because on all in the family because she's just you know like you know the girl next door and in this movie she's like it's kind of a little like provocative uh, oh yeah She's kind of hot. Like, I got to admit, like, at first I was like, ah, she kind of sucks. Like, she's totally fucking over her her husband and blah, blah, blah. But then the more she got into it, the more I kind of got into it. I was like, <laughs> this is kind of hot. <laughs> yeah, okay, you fucking cuckold. You're like, okay. Well, because I felt more like, I just think it's kind of hot. Like, I just thought it was kind of hot the way she was. I like the way she was digging him. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it's a very, it's like I, like I said, it's very Joker and Harley or Sid and Nancy type of relationship where it's that, that weird uh, power thing where he kind of has a hold on her and he'll let her get a little bit, but then he like abuses her to like send her back to like the submissive uh, type thing. But like, I was like, I, I didn't even see her that way at all. Like I didn't see her as a sexual or like hot character, but then like there's moments where she's kind of has, it's not so much when she's interacting with anybody, but there's like that one play, that one scene in the hotel and her husband's tied getting tied up by Rudy. 
and she has headphones on. She's kind of dancing and she's wearing like a little picnic top, picnic blanket top, and she's taking off her. And I'm like, kind of hot. Like, I just kind of like a chick. Like, she's listening to music. No, she she was totally like, um, did you? I I know you've never seen this movie, but you might have seen like a trailer for it on some collection of like shitty exploitation trailers or whatever. Um, it's called Hot Summer in Barefoot County. And Holy it's like shit. it's yeah, like yeah, it's I've like hill, it. it's like softcore, like hillbilly, like sexy, like action, action, nudie, porno. <laughs> like anyway, that <laughs> that's what I was when she was when she was um, in that scene. I was like, "Holy shit! It's hot summer in Barefoot County." <laughs> yeah, dude, that is a perfect title for a film that captures that moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like I don't know. It's like a whole genre of like drive-in. Is I think like. Um, I think like maybe it probably got popular with like the movie Vixen, the um the uh Russ Meyer movie, even though I think yeah. that was supposed to be in Canada or something, but it was still like Canada has hillbillies, you know, Shania Twain. And like it was so <laughs> <laughs> so they're out there. It was like this it sort of begat this whole um oh I think like Roger Corman probably did with like, you know, um like crazy crazy mama or whatever those movies are and stuff. So yeah, yeah there was like like hillbilly, like sexy, um like hillbilly like titillation mm. yeah oh, and so like if up. sally struthers had not gotten cast on that show which oh by the way did you know that in the um pilot episode of all in the family their last name was justice wow no i did not know that. and her name and her name was gloria justice and they changed it to bunker because they thought that justice sounded too um like effete and they wanted something that sounded a little bit more like working class wow well they got it right yeah, Bunker <laughs> does definitely some more working class. Yeah. <laughs> they nailed it on the head. But yeah, like I, it was kind of weird, like her transition into all that because, yeah, you know, obviously, you know, I was more tra- attracted to Carol because she just looks like, you know, Jesus, she's just gorgeous. She doesn't even have like makeup on. She has like basic foundation or something and she looks absolutely stunning because, you know, her she's just got structure. that like 70s tan. Yes. Oh, my God. It's mesmerizing to me. Her hair is long. It looks great. It looks soft. She's she's cute and she's kind of a slut, which is kind of hot. Cause Did you see Love Story? Aiden. Love Story? That was her that was her big debut with her and Ryan O'Neill. I need to watch it. I got to watch. That's going to have to be on the list, man. Did you see 200 cigarettes? No, that's on the list as well. Okay. Cause there's a scene, the there's a scene where Martha Plimpton is watching love story and there's an Ally McGraw's on TV and she's like, love means never having to say you're sorry. And Martha Plimpton takes her like food and throws it at the TV screen. She's like, I hate you motherfucker. <laughs> I like he connects some dots. You, you give me a whole lore to have to watch the film. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, Ellie McGraw got like she was in Love Story, and then she oh, was, okay. and and she's she's kind of like yeah, a Catherine yeah. Ross in the way that like she was like this mega star from like seventy to like seventy five. Yeah, and then, very, like pretty nobody heard of career. her. Yeah. yeah, she was a model first, and and mm-hmm. and luckily discovered uh early enough to be able to be in this film and and i know i think i read that looking back at you know when she looked back at her performance she was not uh, happy with it she did she felt like she did a horrible job but she was still kind of figuring out the the ropes of acting but i honestly i think it kind of worked in her favor uh being a little more raw yeah i mean you know the thing is is that she she does come across more like a contemporary actress i don't remember who they said that they had in mind they had other women in mind for that role and the thing is in like women of that era were a lot more sort of like 
I just feel like they were just a little bit more bombastic, more bodacious, more sort of, you know, and the thing is, is that like Ally McGraw is more of like a, like almost like a throw forward to the nineties kind of actress or like a two thousands actress. Like she's very sort of like, I mean, there was a lot of like models who became actresses who like ended up being famous in the nineties and two thousands. And I think that like, because I think at the time I remember hearing that, like, I think it was like Pauline Kale had said that like Ally McGraw, like she said, Ally McGraw's a worse actress than Candace Bergen. Like Candace Bergen was, con- was considered to be like this terrible fucking actress at the time. Yeah. Um, who ended up like being nominated for Oscars later and winning Emmys and stuff. So Ally McGraw was probably just too early for her time. Yeah. It, to me, it's very like, uh, you know, like, you know, you look at Resident Evil with uh, Mila Jogovic, you know, who is a pure model uh, before oh. she, you know, she was also in the Fifth Element and all that. Like, that's exactly had, what I'm thinking of. Yeah, she had that like, energy of innocence, but also strength. Like, like she could kind of tune, she could kind of fire I mean, it up. But Ally McGraw is like Mila Jojovich or something like like why? But Mila Jojovich was never like widely regarded as like a disappointment to Hollywood. Like, how could you let this woman star in these movies? The yeah, way that it the may people... have been because she was in the right time period. Yeah. Like yeah, Ally McGraw right. was just like 20 years too early, 30 years too early. You're right. I think yeah. if she had, if she had been acting in the nineties, mid nineties, she would have been legendary. I think people would have yeah. loved her. She's Cause they gorgeous. like that simple. Yeah, exactly. Cause we were done with those fucking crazy bitches like Faye Dunaway. We wanted some nice, normal women. Yeah, she seems relatable. Like you just yeah. get along with her. You know that that whole scene where she's waiting for 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 Doc to come back from the the train, and she's just waiting at the station, and um, and she's just waiting, and she's worried, and she feels bad, and she feels guilty that she lost the pack, the money, and like you just feel for her. Like she just seems so, even though she's not innocent, like she's mm-hmm. kind of just as shitty as he is, if not shittier. You know, because she she had her back blown out by <laughs> See, and, and, and think, yeah and this the thing is i liked think, it i think she's actually really good in the getaway awesome. i i don't really much like her in love story which is her big breakout oh role. really okay. well she plays this really sort of like she plays one of those like kind of like screwball women who's like really sort of antagonistic and kind of like like thinks she's cute but is actually really annoying like she's yeah. like she's like this sort of like communist kind of she's like like this communist like girl on campus and like ryan o'neill is like this capitalist pig like white male rich guy and she's just like always like giving him shit about being like you know you know establishment and stuff and like it's that's and i'm just kind of like oh my god you're trying so fucking hard just shut up you think you're so cute you remind me of every girl in college who just needed to like get her head out of her own ass and realize that she's not you know like so anyway um, I liked her in this movie a lot more. I thought she was really cool as like Steve McQueen's like wife who like, you know, put up with a lot, but then gave him shit back and was very, you know, relatable. Yeah, no, I think I think it works out well for the film. And and I, I do like that, you know, they get out of the firefight and they're trying to get away. They get this one guy who's waiting in the back. You even see the very beginning of the firefight that one of the guys tells him go to the back door uh, there might be a chance he comes back there and he's with the youngest of the posse of uh you know uh the cow I, what i called cowboy posse because they're all wearing cowboy hats they're all in a convertible six guys in a convertible not that tough looking by the way <laughs> but uh they they arrive and and they you know 
um, Doc tells him, like, get the fuck out of here, dude. You're the last guy alive. <laughs> like, just live. And so he runs away. And they run into Slim Pickens, <laughs> legendary rodeo extraordinaire actor, fucking just legendary fucking cowboy man, Slim Pickens. And who steals the whole movie with like the final in the final yes. six minutes. Got the best mustache <laughs> in the film. It's just got this giant fucking bushel of a stash. It just looks like he could hide cheddar in there for two it's weeks. ludicrous. It is like a cartoon mustache. Like I couldn't believe it. It's amazing. And he's got no. that. He's got a uh, exuberance and he, I, I will say he perfectly captures that Texan cowboy positive vibe uh mm-hmm. he really did. i mean it, you don't find it a lot easily but uh, you know I, i've ran into cats like that they're just kind of optimistic but I, what i like about it it being in this period of being in the early 70s is he was a cowboy and he did used to break the law back in the day because his youth he was it was what the 40s and 30s <laughs> and where you could break the law and it was a little easier um, and you could get you could get away with more shit. It was just a little bit more Wild West. And you could tell that he was a cat from that time period. But now he's just trying to make a simple uh, income and just trying to live a simple life. But all of a sudden he sees these two, you know, he sees this couple that are really get away. And he can tell right away. Oh, I recognize those faces. Yeah, I've been there before. And he tells him he's like, I've been in trouble with the law, too. Yeah. You know, like he's. And, but here's the part that I love is like he's he draws the line. He goes, are you two married? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And he's like, okay. Cause you know, so many people are just living together now. And it's just like, what the living together ain't living. <laughs> exactly. Which is so ironic. Cause it's worse now. Like you have, like you have, I I've had so many, I've dated people where they're like, man, you know, my perfect relationship would be if we just could have separate houses. Like oh, yeah. back in the day, they might split beds, but now like there's people that want to be in you know, oh, now, no, now everybody's like fucking polyamorous. I sound like that's old man. I'm like, everybody's polyamorous. And like, if you want to have just one partner, then you are just you were, yeah, no. yeah. But you know, it goes to show like how things have progressed over the time. Like back then, they were just like, I'd like to be single to my 30s. That was crazy back then. To well, be single to your 30s is insane. Well, it's funny because now when I find out people are married, I'm always kind of shocked. Like when I find out like podcasters all know like, you know, that they're married. I'm like, but you're a nerd. You're supposed to be like me. Like, why aren't you just like locked in your house with like one of your parents or something like, what do you mean you're married? You have a child. Wait, are you like working too? What's wrong with you? So, yeah, you're definitely sticking your dick in some artificial Oh, yeah so so it's it has changed like like it, like nowadays like i was thinking about that when i was watching the movie and i was like in today's world like the steve mcqueen and her like wouldn't be married they probably wouldn't even admit that they were boyfriend and girlfriend they would probably be exclusive and be sleeping with each other but when you ask them they'd be like oh we're not together no no we just yeah. help each other rob banks which oh. you're right though like because when mm-hmm. i was first watching the film i didn't think that i did not think they were married like i mm-hmm. i didn't get that until you know, there was some dialogue later where they mentioned that it was, you know, that they were married. But at first I was like, oh, that's just someone that is loyal to him, that they've had a thing and maybe they've known each other for a long time. Like I did not right away think that they were married. And I think that has a lot to do with the environment we're in now. It's just a different type of yeah. way of yeah. looking at it. Yeah, it's too bad. You know, I, I don't I'm not a proponent of remakes or anything, but I was like watching this movie and I was like, you know. Like there's a lot like like the, a story like this could work now. I don't think they should remake the getaway. 
but I would like to see like a, you know, it would be kind of fun to watch like a kind of a violent adult oriented crime movie featuring like a non-traditional couple doing something, you know, like a guy and a girl, but like, you know, maybe they're married, maybe they're not, you know, like, I think it was also the part where like he was the radio station wouldn't work. And he said, nothing works nowadays. And like, yeah. I, I feel that way about technology all the time. I've never wanted to talk on the phone since they invented cell phones. I miss landlines. Like they've never replicated the clarity of the voice on the no. cell phones. And so I like the world weariness. Also, like when he got out of prison at the beginning, like, and there was all these hippies around the watering hole. And I was thinking about it and I was like, well, if he's been in prison for four years, the whole hippie subculture came out after 1968. So he's like Rip Van Winkle. Like he's walking into a new world. Like he didn't yes. get to see like half naked boys and girls like lounging by a swimming hole, like who weren't like, you know, in the sixties. So true. Yeah. So, I mean, they could do a movie like that now, like the getaway, but I, I, you know, I don't like think they should just recycle old ideas, but maybe they could go back to the source novel. Or yeah. At least the energy of it. Yeah. I yeah. think, I think just kind of capturing the essence of, of what the film makes you feel like, I, I think there's an opportunity there because we don't get that a lot. You know, I think, you know, thanks to Marvel, you know, kind of capturing uh, the hearts and, and and eyeballs of so many people, it's become very classic. It's just superhero guy, and they try to throw in people of color and people uh, uh, of of different backgrounds and blah blah blah. But they're always minor characters. They're they're not. You know, it, it just it's very scripted. It's very predictable, and that's the environment they created but man we could really use a mix-up of something like this that this movie brings to the table yeah yeah i mean something like you know they make these movies every once in a while like what was that movie where the rock it was i think it was called skyscraper and like nev campbell was the female lead yeah that's right (laughs) and i remember just thinking like there was nothing really like special about that movie but i was always like you know that was kind of random just to have nev campbell be like the woman in this movie, like, yes. like, like that was kind of like, that must've talked they must've had to talk some, some producer or some studio head into that. So this movie's already like kind of a little, you know, it's a nice nineties throwback. And if like, Campbell's kind of the Kristen Stewart before Kristen's like, she has that kind of introverted delivery and uh, yeah, that is kind of interesting. Like, she, to, and to she's so, she's so forever linked with Gen X. Yes. Or like maybe like a little bit post Gen X, like maybe like I'd say Winona Ryder's more Gen X, like Nev Campbell's more like millennial or whatever. Yeah, but, she's more millennial. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But still, but it's like, um, you know, nobody ever thinks I don't Nev Campbell never did anything in the 2000s that like would link her with that era. Like she's very 90s. Yeah, like very 90s, late 90s. Like she kind of captured that era and. Yeah, it's kind of awesome. Yeah, I kind of want to watch that now. I've never seen that film, but it's just um, like it's just in, like casting choices like that. I'm like, oh, I'm like somebody behind the scenes had some weird ideas and that they were able yeah. to get away with them. <laughs> I love that, though. Yeah, I feel like it's always in those cases, it's like someone saw something or someone owed someone something or, yeah. you know, like I just always feel like with someone's going to get away with that. Where it's like, you know, I want to make this film and you can't do anything. about. Yeah, it. but it's just kind of like it's like those weird movies, like those random movies that would happen in like the 80s or like the 70s or something where like <clears throat> the female lead would be like sally kirkland or whatever and you're like really like the casting director said that was cool the director said that was cool huh okay (laughs) yeah you just get a wild card every now and then Mm -hmm. and i think this film kind of captures that energy like obviously there's some traditional bullshit like traditional shit 
and and to bigamy and stuff like that but like there's just moments that are a little bit against the grain of i feel you know i'm no expert in in the filmography of the time but it just does feel a little bit against the grain in terms of mainstream media and and this this picture definitely captures that because you know yeah they they run into slim pickens and he takes him to the to mexico and initially they want to give him ten thousand dollars and fucking carol raises that shit he, yeah. he asked for 20 and he's like how much and she's like how about thirty thousand? well because they which, have like what five hundred thousand. yes they did five hundred thousand. which i think in 2021 i think i read was 1.3 million yeah 1. no they million. they have like so much more like i was still think because at first i was like thirty thousand dollars and i was like oh wait a minute that's like that's like not like the, the you know that's so little come you know they they and and plus they're going to be in mexico like that money is doubled yes and the thirty thousand for for that guy if he only made five thousand the year before like mm-hmm. that's just that's like that's like giving three hundred thousand dollars to somebody now yeah well, like he, he could would he be could okay buy, for a while oh you could in 1972 you could buy a house in like the san francisco bay area for like thirty thousand dollars you yeah. know like I mean, it would be a little tiny little brick ranch house. I think but my parents bought this house for forty two thousand in nineteen like nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty. Yeah, yeah. And it's a pretty solid. You know, it's not a huge house, but it's a, you know, it's a solid like you know, close to a thousand square foot. It's pretty small, but you know, but it's still like there's enough people, there's enough space for a family to live here, a little family. But yeah, you know, like it's crazy. You know, it's funny is I, I, I've been looking at houses in like the Rust Belt and stuff because, you know, I'm, I'm a West Coaster and I'm thinking about making that West Coast exodus. And I keep looking at like houses out in like Michigan and Pittsburgh and like these huge like three-story houses and stuff and thinking like I want to move in one of those. And then I was like, you know, I got to keep reminding myself like I'm not buying a family to help me clean it. Yes. I have a one I have a one bedroom apartment that I hate to vacuum once a week like it's too much for me. So yeah. I mean a little two bedroom one bath ranch house is like like amazing. Like that is exactly what like a one human being needs. <laughs> exactly. No, it's the same way I look at homes, especially around here. Like you know, we have so many big homes in Texas. I don't know. I, I, I it might be the whole fucking cliche of everything's bigger in Texas, but a lot of people like bigger homes here than they need. And I do like a more minimalist approach. Obviously, I don't, I, I don't know if I could pull off a tiny home. I have way too many collectibles and a bunch of shit. I would need storage and all that. But no, but like a nice like a, like a ranch house, and you could do like with um put that wood in there like you like like some wood, yeah. some wood paneling or something. You know, like yeah. like an unremodeled house. Like they'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry, it hasn't been updated since the 70s, and I'm like where where do i sign yeah yeah you know just like i just want to add some shelving and shit i'm gonna keep a lot of this the way it is yeah, yeah. and it's like they have like those like outdoor carports like those mid-century carports where yep. i'm like i kind of just want to buy like a wood paneled station wagon that doesn't even run just so i can park it in the carport <laughs> like as a and so it'll like you know like a accessory to the house which by the way there is one in this film there they, they they do uh get they are in a station wagon where they get away after the yeah. bank robbery yeah yeah because they look like family a family people yes yeah. it's perfect perfect vehicle for that situation mm-hmm. yeah um but you know as you know i like to uh do a quick impression of the movies i cover this is a segment i like to go quick impressions okay <clears throat> quick impressions no, would you please carry my kitty for me? Cat? Yeah, that's... 
Hold on, hold on again. One time, one more time. Hold on. Now, would you please care of my kitty for me? Uh, cat? <laughs> God damn it. Okay, one second. Now, would you please care of my kitty for me? Cat? Yeah. What's his name? Poor little Harold. That's a strange name for a pussy. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a quick impression. I did that a lot of times. I might keep them all in. Why, why not? Just keep I think I, I was like, definitely like I, my editor brain. I was like, I was like, take one up until. Yeah. And then take three. <laughs> like I was getting them together. <laughs> I was going to have people just listen all day. I, I'll see what I do, but. Yeah, that is a, a, a segment of the, the film that I thought was just absolutely hilarious. It's between uh, our, our our fan favorite, uh, Mrs. Clinton, and uh, the good old Jimmy, uh, who runs the hotel. And she has a little kitten the whole time. At some point, it's on the chest of, of, uh, of, of Rudy. Uh, and <laughs> it's just amazing that this cat is throughout this film. I It just lives its way through there. I think it, for some parts, it's not in that box. I think it's just kind of. In existence well i was funny because i was wondering i was like i wonder what happened to the kitten and then i was like oh well the hotel guy obviously like inherited it because he was like look he was concerned about whether or not the cat had yes. its best life or whatever so he told his son to take care of it or whatever yeah, yeah. for sure uh so as y'all know i like to rate these movies one of my favorite mustaches you have the uh full fu manchu recommendation for hell yeah you have the uh walrus mustache recommendation for pretty fucking good the horseshoe mustache recommendation for not bad and the dreaded hitler mustache recommendation for burn this movie in hell and mike justice you are more than willing to create your own mustache you feel like it's somewhere in between these or go ahead and lean on the og mustaches how would you rate this film i'm gonna say i want to let you know that it's a fu manchu but i'm going to all i'm going to create my own mustache i'm going to say it's slim pickens mustache from the end of the movie (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is how I the Slim Pickens mustache from the end of the movie is how I feel about this movie. Fuck yeah. Um it's the it, you know it was criticized a little bit by uh by reviewers when it came out who said that it they felt that it was too conventional. Um I feel like it's the perfect mix of arty and conventional. It's like it is it is a very like it is a blockbuster but it is a it's a peck and paw blockbuster. Um it's I loved it. I was, I don't understand why I'd never seen it before. I think it just, they just didn't ever play on TV and it just didn't have like, it wasn't a huge like VHS staple in all the stores I went to as a kid and, and it wasn't on HBO and like I somehow missed it, but I'm sorry. I'm glad to have finally caught it. Yeah. Same for me. I'm honestly shocked. I I remember thinking like when I first, started looking at it i was just like oh this has got to be something that mike has seen but i was shocked that you had not seen this before but i also was excited because i it was great to hear your first impression of it and i feel like this is something that i honestly feel the same way i feel like i wish i had seen this sooner but i'm glad i saw it at some point because i definitely should have died like three or four times before today and uh i haven't so I'm glad you were I'm... waiting you better watch out it might have been just so you could see this movie i'm <laughs> <laughs> on my last life just because of this film but i'm so glad i got to see it i had so much fun with it and this does get the full fu manchu slim pickens recommendation you're right the slim pickens mustache just t- just kicks us out the park maybe slim pickens is the ultimate mustache and we might need to add his because it is amazing in this film and it fully represents all the different dimensions of what this this film brings and it's so much fun if you've never seen it before give it a watch please because 
we didn't do it justice just talking about it. Maybe you enjoyed this. You enjoyed some of the jokes and some of the weird off tangents that we went on. But this is just the way me and Mike roll. And I hope you enjoyed it. But definitely check out the the movie because it's we, so much fun. We are like the Paul Thomas Anderson, like meets David Lynch of like podcasters. Like we just go off on fucking <laughs> hour long subplots <laughs> can't help it it's just the way we are and I, I like to keep the conversation going as it naturally goes i'm not here mm-hmm. to try to pilot the, I'm, I'm here to loosely pilot it but i'm not i, I like to, to let it go where it goes baby mm-hmm. um so do you have uh, anything to plug or are you any are you on any podcast you like the listeners to know about yours um <laughs> no no so the only thing that i'm working on now which is very typical is I went, I found an old box of camcorder tapes from 2000 to 2002 of little skits and fun short films that my friends in Portland and I made back in the day before social media, before everything. And wow. I've, di- I've digitized all of them and I'm turning them into like a 30 minute movie, which I'm then going to upload to YouTube, which nobody will ever watch. I will watch it and I Thank will. Thank you tweet that shit out our instagram it whatever whatever you i I, I, kinda, know, I know some people are letting go of twitter but it's kind of like what you were saying earlier about like you know you said you could have you know i was joking that like oh once you watch the getaway like you know now you can die it's like i just have these tapes and i'm just like i can't let this shit just rot on tapes like i have to yes. i have to edit it together and i have to put it out there in the world and then probably when i do I'll just like turn to dust like the dude at the end of the Scarlet Letter or something. Like I'll just be consumed by my own whatever. But yeah. So, I mean, that's like the only thing I'm doing really right now. Like I, you know, I, I just, I make my own little weird video projects and, and, and somebody called them masturbatory. And I'm like, when has anyone ever said that was bad? Exactly. That's like, good. Like they're like, well, it's masturbatory because it's just you know just to pleasure you. Like it's just something Gross. you want to see. And I'm like, and did and I get post nut clarity from it. Like I'm doing this as therapy <laughs> for myself. When was the last time you ever heard anyone say masturbation was bad because you didn't have a partner or because you weren't impregnating somebody? Like it's good. 100%. It's called art. <laughs> I 100 percent agree. Yeah. And where can people like follow you? You have an Instagram, right? You have a, yeah. you have a Twitter. No, no, I you have an Instagram at least. Yeah, no, um, yeah, Instagram is um the Mike Justice. I I don't do Twitter. I never got in Twitter mostly because I just didn't ever want to get in trouble. Yeah, you know, I I mostly use it just for the show, but yeah, you can easily get in trouble uh, on Twitter. And if people don't get my context, like I like to just you know, I'm very hyperbolic, and you know, it's like I there's so many things that I could have said that you know, like yeah. probably would have pissed people off. So, and also just like. I don't know my mom's on Twitter and I just like I just feel like Twitter is just like angry boomers like retweeting <laughs> celebrities who like agree with them. True. I mean my my algorithm is pretty chill. It's just mostly a bunch of podcasters, but yeah, I would imagine um you know from the uh, comments and stuff that I see with some of my friends Twitter pages, yeah, it can get pretty spicy and then you end up just uh getting angry and it just doesn't make things fun. So yeah, that's true. Um, but yes, follow on Instagram and I'll be uh, hopefully sharing whatever he shares on his Instagram so that we all know what's going on so that we can check out that uh, little bit of a short feature that he's coming up with from his youth. I, I did shoot some stuff uh, with my friends and none of that is worth ever showing to anybody. Um, it's just horrible. Give it to me. Not funny. Give it it's, to me when I'm done with mine and let me cut it into something. 
I'll ask my friend. I, uh, my 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 close friend Rocky Zamora would have I get, that. I get Final Cut. Yeah, you would get Final <laughs> Cut because yeah, we, none of us would know we would say on there. Just don't judge it. But uh, there might be some stuff on there that you would find questionable. But for the most part, it's all pretty wholesome teenage antics. It's probably you know? just gonna it's gonna be like totally Mike justified. You're gonna be like, wait, why is this all cut together with like library music and SCTV quotes and like. <laughs> <laughs> No kidding. Yeah, I, I feel like you'd get a kick out of some of the bits, but it was mostly just skit stuff. We would just do skits. Um, uh, and none of it was, none of us were writers at the time. So, like, it was just ridiculous children uh, doing stupid shit. But it was a good time. We had fun, at least. Um, so, thank you all so much for checking out the podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode with me and Mike Justice. Uh, you can follow us. Uh, you can follow us on a uh, at Mustachio Podcastio on on Instagram and at M Podcastio on Twitter. I'll throw on the episodes there. I'm going to be doing some more episodes of some Grindbin uh, movies that they've covered back in the day that I've always wanted to talk about, but I just never had a chance. They happen to have mustaches, so be expecting that very soon. And hopefully, you enjoy that. Um, if you have any suggestions for early uh, Grindbin, I know a lot of my listeners are into the Grindbin. If there's any episodes that I wasn't on that you'd like me to talk about that have dope mustaches, uh, feel free to shoot me a message because I may miss a few. There's a fuckload of grinding episodes. So Rock just force. let me know. <laughs> yeah, maybe I might throw on life force. <laughs> true, true. It might, that might be in the mix there. So we'll see how it goes. But other than that, Mike, thank you so much for joining the show, man. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Hell yeah. And until next time, we'll check y'all later. Bye.